Runner goes. And a base hit. Gardner will go to third, and Jeter stands alone on seventh place. 3,420 hits in his career, and the Yankees have runners on the corners with two outs. They're going to get that baseball. So I was thinking, Don, I know I've been talking on the last two podcasts about how I'm having somewhat of a resurgence as a wrestling fan. Yes. Which is awesome news for me, considering I'm 34 years old. Yeah, that's great. I have no children. <laughs> uh, but um, I was thinking that maybe, I was thinking about our personas on the podcast. Okay. And I was thinking that we're probably both good guys, faces, right? Our Our, our podcast persona is... Basically, essentially, faces. And I was wondering. Yeah, I don't think either of us are jerks. Or I was wondering if one of us should make a heel turn. Yeah. Like, I wonder if at some point one of us should crack the other one in the back with a steel chair. Do you think that that would advance the platform of the sportscasters one way or another? I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I don't know that I've heard that. I'm not sure how that would that would translate. I wonder if I brought a bad guy WWF style persona to my interviewing, if that would immediately mean we never had a guest ever again. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the bigger thing is you're almost exclusively the interviewer. So if you took a turn like that, that w- it might be weird. And I was thinking a lot about our three things today and how I wanted to handle discussing our first thing, uh-huh. which we'll get to. And I was thinking about just how fine a line there is out there for everyone who puts themselves in front of a microphone or a keyboard every single day in this business. And I really hesitate to include us in the quote unquote business because there's not much actual business going on. Right. We don't, this we don't get paid for it. Right. Not right. Well, we have. Sure. Technically. Yes. Right. We did have a contract show that was officially business. Correct. Um, not that it was necessarily lucrative. No. And we did just recently turn down a offer. We did. That was business. So we are somewhat in the business, but I was very carefully using that word. But um, maybe that's a better thought for later. It's season four, <laughs> episode 22, July 30th, 2014. Really excited to have one of the real good guys of NFL media out there. Jason Lackenfora, who's been with us pretty much since the beginning, with us when he worked for the NFL Network, now with us in his role at CBS. Uh, He's going to join us from the car, traveling from Cincinnati's training camp to his next stop. And we're excited to talk to Jason. We've actually once talked to Jason while he was in a train. And now tomorrow we're going to talk to Jason in a car. And I'll ask him if maybe someday we can talk to him while he's in a plane. Yeah, get the whole to get the whole thing trifecta there, right? But uh, Jason's going to be on the the show today. We're excited about that as always. Whenever Jason's on, also uh, Jeremy Taggart, who is the now former drummer of the Canadian rock band Our Lady Peace, is going to be on today. This is actually an interview I recorded a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. um, but isn't necessarily out of date. I mean, we talk about somewhat. This would fall into the summer category of trying something different. Sure. You know what I mean? It's it's different. Uh, 
So we'll put it at the end and people can check it out if they want. But the main draw today is obviously Lackenfora, who brings with him almost 400,000 Twitter followers and I'm sure a nice retweet. So it's an exciting show for us for that. I also wanted to mention before we moved on any further and get to three things, just I guess sort of how proud I am. If No, that's not right. How happy I was with how well the last podcast went. And we actually made a decision last week to not do one just because we wanted to leave that one at the top of the page for an extra week. Yeah. We really didn't necessarily schedule to take a week off, uh, but we just kind of did it because we we anticipated extra eyes than normal, and we certainly got them. Uh, thanks to Awful Announcing, who gave us a retweet on the show. Thanks to Richard Deitch, who... Put, a, put us right in his column, our own section in the column about about the show. Yeah, without even without even mocking us, being smarmy yeah. or yeah. joking about being our PR or anything like that. It, it was it was really cool. That was a surprise. Yeah, so I want to thank Richard Deitch. Uh, Ed Sherman did something for us. I want to thank Ed. So it got a lot of play, and I want to thank John Wertheim uh, for being on the podcast. John Wertheim is the executive editor. The managing editor is a guy, a guy named Chris Stone, who's going to be on very soon as well. I've cool. talked to Chris a few times already. And I was sort of reading between the lines, and I thought when we talked to John about podcasting, it seemed like he was sort of saying, look it, I like podcasts, Chris doesn't. So it'll be interesting if when ah. we talk to Chris, if we can confirm that that's true, if I can get that out of him some way. There's a good cop, bad cop thing. I think, I think it's what it was. So yeah. it'll be interesting when we do... And I'm pretty confident Chris is going to be on real soon. So I've been talking to him on DM on Twitter, and um, we're going to set something up. A couple of quick things I wanted to mention. Chris Ballard is a guy who's been on the show several times. He's one of the two guys that are sort of out there that we've once fractured our relationship with, and we're able to repair it. Because really it was a small misunderstanding that kind of got out of hand. And I don't remember that one. To clarify. I'll tell you about it later. Okay. There's no reason to rehash it now. But anyway... Uh, for the sake of continuing to uh, enhance that relationship, even though that's a joke, uh, he wrote an <laughs> unbelievable piece on skydiving in the last SI, which you would always think, I mean, who would want to read a piece on skydiving? Yeah. I mean, this is best American sports writing series good. I'd be shocked if it's not in the next one. Wow. So if you wanted to check that out, check that out. Also wanted to give a huge shout out to probably the one and only uh, sportscaster super fan. You think that's fair? Super fan, yes. Yeah, Ford Kendrick. Uh, is like good. your mom doesn't count? Yeah, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, congratulations to Ford on uh, having his first job as a freelance writer at Comic-Con in San Diego. Uh, this past week he killed it out there. and He's got some work on uh, Hit Flicks, which is where Seppenwall and... Uh, oh, okay. Who's the other guy? That's where they work. Uh, Seppenwall and, um, I don't know, the other TV critic that's famous. That's where they work. So a really sweet site, and we're uh, yeah. I had no idea when I saw his Twitter feed said he's been to like the last sixteen, seventeen, something like that. That's unbelievable. I was super jealous of that. I really want to go out there. Yeah, I a lot of the Stern guys were there. I like everyone but Howard, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. We're there for a few days, and it's interesting to hear the various opinions on it. I guess it's a pretty, pretty crazy thing. Like, it's nuts, yeah. nutsly at times. Yeah, he actually suggested that I go to New York City since it's closer, and he said it's a little bit less crazy. Yeah. Because, like, people choose to break giant news at these things. Like, it's become a very Hollywood event. Uh, one other thing I wanted to put over, to use another wrestling term, 
there's a guy named Michael Abelson who I've been chatting with a little bit on Twitter here and there. Really nice guy from Boston. Uh, he's a Harvard hockey and Bruins hockey fan, which uh, sort of strange that we'd get along considering right. my role as a Sabres and Yale hockey fan. Uh, but him and a friend of his is working on a documentary about BU wrestling uh, and how the program dissolved after one year after they had accomplished. I don't know if it was a national championship or what exactly, but on my Twitter at sports underscore casters, I tweeted a link to the, uh, to the trailer oh, trying okay. to get this finished. They've been working on it for a year. And, uh, occasionally we have some influential ears listening to the show, uh, who might, uh, be willing to, um, help Michael out. Uh, so if you are one of those people, check my Twitter and check out that, uh, that link that I posted, and you can also check out Michael's Twitter. He's at Mike, A-B-E-L-S-O-N, 4324. All right, I think that's just about everything. Let's uh, let's roll with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Mm-hmm. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. All right, we're going to try to break this down. Let's start this way. Did the NFL correctly suspend Ray Rice by giving him two games for the incident involving he and his then fiance in the elevator? Um, the best example... Or counter example, like counter argument, I heard to this was the NFL suspended a player for stomping on another player's head five games, like for something that happened within a game. Uh, so no, I guess. I mean, if they can just hand out suspensions as they see fit, then I can't see how they justify it. I know Ray Rice prior to this was always one of the good guys in the NFL. Uh, did a lot of work with charity and all that stuff, and he's not a repeat offender. I know that's why people say some of the drug guys got hit harder, but, boy, if you can get four games for smoking weed. Someone asked me to ask our next football guest why he's not in jail, and I actually found out the reason on my own. He was sentenced to essentially a suspended sentence. So he was had to go to some classes that I think he still goes to. Right. And then there's a, a period of a year where if he completes his courses and doesn't repeat offend, his charges will be dropped. And he was able to pursue this line of right. trial because his fiance became his wife and that was what she wanted as well. There are some states where they don't ask the victim just boom domestic violence you go to jail or whatever and i guess they don't live in that state or this didn't occur in one of those states he probably lucked out then so she was able to play some role in it now keith oberman who did a really good job countering the nfl's uh suspension mentioned that in their hearing they had rice and mr and mrs rice in the same room and apparently in domestic violence trials that's like 101 no-no you never put the victim in the room with her attacker or his attacker because they will do and say things to – because their ultimate goal is just for it to never happen again. Sure. So they're going to say in front of them whatever they think is most likely to result in it never to happen again. 
Yeah, but that said, and I know you mentioned this on Twitter too. She still went on and married the guy. She yes, she so, was his fiance at the time of the incident and is now his wife. Strange. I mean, I, I just always have felt like I didn't know everything about it. But isn't it enough to know what we've seen in video? Yeah, I would think so. Knowing what we do know, it's shocking. I mean, what I'm not going to play apologist for Ray Rice, but I mean, hopefully these classes do make him reform. Hopefully that was a one-time thing. Ho- hopefully, and she was that. also charged in the incident. Yeah. I don't exactly know with what yeah. or why. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it was strange at his press conference afterward that she was with him and she apologized for her role in it there too. So she did have some role. Or which is sort of saying, what, or I mean, she's saying that. Right. Which is sort of what I think Stephen A. Smith, who's gotten himself in trouble, was sort of trying to say, but I am certainly not going to play apologist for Stephen A. Smith because I don't care for him that much. No, and the problem with I mean, he made it very big picture. He did. He made it about all women, and he made it about... He generalized it instead of talking about this specific thing. Right, and he said, there's things women's can, women can do to... To provoke. Uh, pro- pro- provoke it, right. And that's blaming the victim, which, which you never, never do. I mean... Now, but here's where that might be right, or legal. If a woman punches you in the face well, because you said you're not going to walk to the store and you punch her back, that's probably legal. Right. Now, is that what he meant? I don't know. Well, the way Michelle Beadle took it in her tweet was something along the lines of, I'm I'm going to wear... I was thinking of going out tonight and wearing a, a mini skirt, but, but I don't want to provoke a rape. Right, a rape. So if that's the way he meant it, that's you, you don't blame the victim... The way I was thinking of it is like this. If you go hunting, you're supposed to wear like an orange vest to right, avoid not camouflage. being shot right. by someone else. But that's an accident. So like you can say like, oh, there's things you can do to avoid being shot while hunting. But you don't blame the victim of someone intentionally knocking her unconscious. Like even if that wasn't his goal, he intended to punch her or whatever he did to her. Like, it wasn't an accident. Like, it wasn't like, well, she should have wore a raincoat in case it rained. Like, I, you don't provoke someone to punch you in the face. I, I think the saddest thing about this is the people who we expect to be at the top of their... Like, the NFL dropped the ball in the suspension, right? Like, Sean Payton was suspended an entire year for allegedly Cheating. asking uh, his right. players to or tackle right to the players people, right. harder. Right. Because they're already going to tackle them, right? Right. So the accusation was that he wanted them to tackle him harder. Right. And it was never really proven. Right. Yeah, he, so right. he got a year for that. Yeah, Greg Williams. Uh, Greg Williams was suspended indefinitely, which basically turned out to be a year yeah, as well. Right. Uh, so the NFL makes himself look pretty bad. Then ESPN seemingly didn't handle the Stephen A. Smith disaster very well as They've been backtracking the whole time, it seems like. Well, yeah. They kind of didn't do anything at all at first, and then they had this recorded apology thing at the beginning of first take, right? and that just didn't seem to satisfy anyone, so now they've suspended him for a week, and they're going to try that. And Richard Deitch has been... Yeah, a week. Richard Deitch has been all over this, uh, not surprisingly, but... Because he hates first take to begin with. (laughs) So he was ready for this. This Well, right. Yeah. This is just the ammunition he needed. 
But, uh, yeah, Michelle Beadle, another ES. I mean, that's the big thing. She's another ESPN employee going back and forth with Stephen A. Smith a little bit. Uh, and I believe it was Richard Deitch that said something along the lines of, people won't go on record as saying this, but there's a very clear divide like within ESPN of people who... Who like, support Beadle and support right, Stephen A. Right, uh, it's a It's a crazy time, though, too, because... And I'm not saying what Stephen A. Smith, I'm not trying to justify or stick up for him at all, but you just have to be so careful. Like, just me saying that could possibly offend someone. I told you about how I offended someone on Twitter because I said the Major League Baseball replay system was an abortion. Right, while technically what It was you the exact the, precise the use of, of the abortion, right. definition just of not it. The, if you didn't mean it in the medical sense. Right. Uh yeah, I I totally agree. It's scary. I, I I'm shocked that I mean what, in January it'll officially be three years of this? Can we make it three years without like Well we don't have advertisers, so we can essentially say whatever we want. But we do I mean we have we do a ask people, with people. Right. Right. That's what we would ruin. So if it ever came out like on the Sherman report If we sullied our reputation, then we just wouldn't get anyone. Sure. Right. And that people, would that would kill us. Right. Yeah, that that would be the end of it. So no, I mean yeah. we have managed to not say anything co- controversial, but I mean, boy, but we do fly very under the radar, admittedly. Yes, that's we're true, not trying true. to take ourselves too seriously. No, at no, all. no. But I mean, uh, there was a thing a while back when I can't remember what happened, but it involved a rape, and someone took it upon themselves or a group of. A bunch of men took it upon themselves to, like, hashtag not all men on Twitter. And it's just, in the context of a rape story, like, that's not the best time to defend men. Like, so, I mean, that, and that blew up. So, for Stephen A. Smith, like, you got to know better. When that's your job, like, the time to maybe put down the way a woman dresses or the way she acts or how she can provoke something probably isn't after a story about a suspension because of a guy beating does, the hell Does ESPN well. have any responsibility in essentially creating that monster, though? In the well, sense that, that they hire those two guys Bayless, literally yeah. to have hot take after hot take after hot take. Right. Like, they're out there to stir the pot, right? I was amazed. They troll. I, they're, they're the ultimate troll. I didn't see the Stephen A. Smith clip, but I read some, like, I read articles about it. And it sounds like it was a long diatribe about, like, just going on and on and on about didn't how women can provoke yeah, this stuff. Didn't. And then on Twitter, he wrote tweets at, why didn't anyone at ESPN, like, hit the eject button, like, at any time? Like, they would have looked a little bit like they were censoring their guy, but they're they're going to be, I mean, this is going to be an issue. And, like, Richard Deitch, he, he, it was great to read his updates on him because he was kind of, like like I said, like smarmy and smart-ass about the whole yep. thing. Like, oh, ESPN's at DEFCON 2. ESPN. Like, their PR, I think, dropped the ball pretty bad. To let him go on that long on the show and then to let him go on that long on Twitter, one they last, dropped the ball. One last thing on this, and that's back to Ray Rice in the NFL. I'll be giving some props to Richard Deitch, and that's easy to do because he's one of our guys. Sure. Keith Oberman is a guy that we've never yep. talked to, and I thought he very eloquently and smartly spoke about the NFL's role in the suspension and really laid out why the NFL was wrong and all the mistakes and arrogant behaviors the NFL uh, played in this. And it's a real easy-to-find clip if you just search yeah, you know, Keith about Oberman, women's, Ray Rice. And, 
they the NFL really markets that their fans are fifty percent women, and they have. I mean, I don't know. I, women, I guess, like the pink jerseys, but I mean, you could almost find that offensive. I guess if you're a woman, that like, oh, I the, the only way you're gonna get me to buy a jersey is by making it pink, and like. There on their website, that was the one thing he pointed out. Big pink Ray Rice jersey. Maybe you, maybe you pull that for a little while until things smooth out a little bit. We'll see how stuff plays out. And uh, I'm sure next time we have Richard Deitch on, which will be the uh, NFL preview show. We always have him on every year to talk about NFL media and what's going on with the NFL and television and Internet and all that stuff. So that's only a couple weeks away already. and It'll be easy, earlier than normal because of our break for my... Uh, wedding and honeymoon so right. that's really close uh so we'll talk to richard about that all right second thing today uh it's tuesday this is going to go up on wednesday and thursday is the major league baseball trade deadline uh really interesting uh the red Sox are one of the biggest potential sellers this year uh looks like john lester is going to be traded uh the tampa bay rays a less surprising potential seller and david price Former first overall pick uh, in the Major League Baseball draft, a former 1-1, as they say, uh, is potentially going to be traded. Uh, Cliff Lee, another big-name pitcher that could be traded. Chase Utley is another Philly that could be traded. So it'll be interesting to see. There's a lot of teams uh, clearly in the playoff race, and there's a lot of teams clearly out of it. Right. So it will be, I would think, a pretty active trade deadline day. Is it surprising what happened to Boston? It's very surprising. I don't think anyone would have predicted they'd be forty-eight and fifty-eight today. I think that's a really because I know the, incredible class. The talk before the season was that the Yankees probably wouldn't be that good, and that's accurate. They're a little bit better above five hundred and but, about five games out. Right. I mean, they're actually only two games back of the wild card right now, which is pretty close. And Toronto has been good, but they've got a lot of injuries. But. uh yeah, it's interesting when a team with that type of payroll can be that bad. Yeah, it's interesting. It's always interesting, you know, to see a team like the Red Sox be a seller. It'll be what interesting about, to see what the Braves do, whether they try to add an arm. What about Baltimore? That's got to be surprising that they're that good. Uh, Baltimore was really good two years ago too. It's weird how sometimes these kind of smaller teams they have a good season, then maybe they'll drop a season, but then they they have enough of the core together. They just kind of kind of build around the the outside parts. They get that back up, and then they can hit again. Uh, the Royals are a team that are basically the same as the Yankees. Yeah, you know they're a couple games out of the wild card, about five games out of the division. They're a team I Maybe always. Maybe if they get hot, they I, could. I always take a peek at the Royals to see how they're doing because uh, they've been a sort of a running theme on the show. Well, since Jeff Passing yeah. came on the very first show, yeah. we kind of thought they could be a dark horse, and they've always been on the cusp of it. It seems like, but not quite. Not quite there. And Poznanski in the sixth show, that's another guy that we talked to about the Royals. So they were a real early yeah. theme on the show. Well, they break, and they really haven't yet. Nope. Uh, a couple other uh, baseball things. Uh, ben Ryder was on the show maybe three, four shows again ago talking about a really interesting article he wrote about the Astros and their decision to, to pick a high school pitcher first overall in the Major League Baseball draft. They didn't sign him. Really? The opportunity to sign the first overall pick passed without them making a deal. They instead took the second overall pick next year, guaranteed. Oh, that you, you can do that. If you they don't got, sign a guy, they you comp- They got a compensation. But it also cost them a later draft pick because 
they didn't have enough money for that guy then because your pool is based on hypothetically signing a guy. And since you don't have that guy, your pool goes down, and then they didn't have enough money to sign him. So they lost two guys and basically got the second overall pick next year. I'm Can never, you imagine if football did that? I mean, I know baseball is such a different animal. It's unbelievably crazy. I couldn't imagine it in any other sport. I still can't even imagine it happened in baseball. I can't imagine being as bad as the Astros were and almost doing it intentionally the way Ben points out in his article about just the way they have planned their rebuild very methodically yeah. and dealt with 0.0 ratings for home games on TV. Like games that are so sparsely watched that they get a 0.0 rating. And then you, you do it to get this first pick and you spend all this time and money to debate six guys that they just they were debating with. And then you draft the one out of six and they can't exam there's no pre combine. Okay. You can't examine these guys in baseball until after. And they did an MRI in his arm and it revealed a potential injury. Oh wow. Like he could be a potential Tommy John guy. So they basically lowballed him. Signing bonus wise, and he stayed at six and a half million. Their initial offer was around three. They eventually, at the last minute, made a five million dollar offer, which he turned down. Hmm. So he's taking the risk to go back in. They're taking the risk to go back. Yeah, that's in. what I was going to ask. Does he get go back to the draft? Or is... yeah, and now I guess his uh, college baseball eligibility might be in jeopardy. Really? Um, I, so I don't know exactly how it's going to play out, at, but. Uh, that's ben nuts. wrote a really great follow-up story on SI.com. So if you want someone who knows more yeah, about this cool. to explain check it, that out. check that out. One other thing about baseball, we played it off the top. Derek Jeter had two hits last night, past Kyle Yastrzemski for seventh all-time in hits. That's unbelievable. Uh, he's also only ten hits away from Honus Wagner, who's sixth. Um, really? So yeah, that'll be the next highlight then next week. Probably. Yeah, so Derek Jeter is had one of the all-time great careers. Sure. And he also hates Don and Don's comments about him in the All-Star <laughs> game. <laughs> Clearly, Derek listens to the show and heard Don complaining about him being in the All-Star game and thus had a great All-Star game to tell Don to shut up. Well, that's because uh, the pitcher cheated. Pitcher cheated, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Oh, and uh, congratulations to Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, Frank Thomas, Tony La Russa, Joe Torre, and Bobby Cox. On being inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame on Sunday. Are they all first ballot? Uh, well, I mean, I don't know about Bobby. The players the were first all first three, ballot. Yeah. Yeah. Seems right. Yeah. yeah. Our last thing this week, uh, we're just going to jump around the NFL with smaller stories. Yeah, a bunch of little stuff, football-wise. Uh, real cool for Buffalo, I suppose. It's kind of an actually an interesting time. If, if it weren't for Cleveland being so exciting, Buffalo would probably be the – the it town in sports well, right now. When we had Ian Rappaport on, yeah, who are the last week? Who are the two biggest things you're excited about? Yep. Cleveland, Cleveland and Buffalo. Buffalo. Is what he said, yep. so. And uh, I mean, between training camp and Sammy Watkins and Vine videos of him making amazing catches, and yep. uh, Andre Reed going into the Hall of Fame this weekend. The stem, the Bills starting off the football season officially, I suppose, if you want to call mm-hmm. it that, with the Hall of Fame game against the Giants, and uh, today. If half an hour ago, I don't think there's any news on it yet, but uh, if you wanted to bid on the Bills, your time has passed. You, you're a half hour too late. Yep. So teams put, or groups put in, I believe they called them non-binding bids, something right. like that. Bids of intent or whatever. So 
Cool time for Buffalo right now. Cool assuming that the best bid is someone whose intentions in are to keep them yeah. in Buffalo. Yeah. Maybe not as cool if the winning bid turns out to be John Bon Jovi and his group of cheaters who were <laughs> allegedly potentially caught cheating the system and maybe will be disqualified. For looking for sites before. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because supposedly they can't be sold to a team with intent of moving the team, and they were looking at stadium sites. So you would think that would disqualify them. Uh, I heard a discussion today about if the Bills move to Toronto. Like, is there any – I know you're not a Bills fan, but I'm sure you're a fan of them being in the area. Oh, I hate for them to move. That's um, nowhere near my radar. To you, is them moving to Los Angeles – the same as them moving to Toronto. Yes. Yeah, I I, I totally agree with that. I, I don't know who would think that, like, okay, I guess they're close still. I think the only realistic moving destination for them is Los Angeles. There's no way they're moving to Toronto. I wouldn't think so. People either. can say and say that all you want. It makes no sense. It's already failed. They're not moving to Toronto. Yeah, I wouldn't. Th- it's not going to happen. So. It doesn't seem like Toronto's interested. Why would they move to Toronto when there still isn't a team in Los Angeles? Why? Yeah, I have no idea. Why would anyone who wants to move the team move them there? Why wouldn't you move them to Los Angeles? I don't know. Second biggest market in the country, right? U.S. dollars, U.S. TV deal. I make any sense? I don't see Toronto happening. Toronto either. makes no sense for the league. Oh, ran out of music. Uh, David Wilson. Uh, I almost feel bad for this guy a little bit. I've never been a big Tom Coughlin guy. I mean, he gets results clearly, but. He's the type of guy that will put it on his players before he puts it on himself. David Wilson fumbles a few times and seems to be a talented kid, is now a kick returner. Uh, but after an injury last season, he has a stinger already this season. Yeah, they're calling it a quote-unquote burner, actually. Burner, okay. I don't know what the difference between a burner and a stinger is. Maybe but a burner's in your neck, stinger's in your sounds, leg or something. Sounds bad. Yeah, I mean, you don't want a guy with, who had a neck injury last year injuring his neck already this year, so... Bad for not good for him. Uh, Josh Gordon has apparently wheeled out the secondhand smoke excuse. Really? So we'll see if that'll work for him. My guess is no, and then getting arrested after that for whatever. There's an article on Deadspin, I guess, about how many drug tests he did pass and how the one he failed was a sample B. I don't know what that means. I think it means there's maybe a little bit of wiggle room for him to get his sentence reduced. And I heard he did hire a guy that who got someone else, someone else off, off or reduced. Right, right. So, so it be interesting to see how that plays out. My guess is they'll reduce it. But I, I mean, I'm not a guy that's watched much of him. I mean, I imagine most people would say that. He's going to miss eight games. Cleveland. Yeah, I would think so. But uh, between him and Justin Blackman, just merely from a numbers and fantasy perspective, like could be so talented. Then, yeah, they put up just such monster. Justin numbers. Blackman is a lot closer to never playing again than Josh Gordon is. He seems like he has like real personal issues. He might Justin be a lost Blackman. cause. Yeah, I mean, um, so I mean, we talked about this before. I can't remember who about, but like. If you and I had that talent, like knowing what we know now or whatever, just with our work ethic or, or just our, I don't know. I I guess it's easy to be corrupted when you're famous from the time you're whatever, eight years old, like these guys probably are. But boy, I, I can't imagine having that much talent and just throwing it away. You were bragging a little bit about Sammy Watkins looking stout in Bill's camp as he had. So I will say the same about. Saints rookie receiver, Brandon Cooks, who's been mm. pretty much a talk of Saints camp. Uh, he's been unbelievable. Jarris Bird, 
uh, returned to practice for the first time today with a back injury that's really not an issue. Uh, I wish it would have lasted longer. There's really just no the there's really no reason for him to be out there right now. Right. Um, he's going to be just fine. Uh, the Vikings basically announced that Adrian Peterson is essentially taking the preseason off, good. which is great for Adrian Peterson, but not very good for the legitimacy of the preseason <laughs> and the fact that Vikings fans still have to pay full price for those games. Why doesn't the NFL, and I don't even know if it was part of the deal, they're so bent on 18 games, why don't they just get rid of the preseason or cut it to two or something like that? Do they really need to know that the 83rd guy on the roster, like, well, he's not going to make it now because he did something against some other scrub? They can figure that out in two games. Uh, the Lions aren't going to get a deal with Ndamukong Sue worked out before they would essentially have to franchise him at a $21 million mark, which they probably wouldn't do. And it's been two so weeks. So he's probably headed to free agency eventually. Which so is, he's probably not going to be a Lion much longer. Which is crazy. And it's been two weeks, I don't remember. The Saints signed Jimmy Graham. Was that before our la- or since our last show? Um, it's pretty The close. Saints had just signed him. Oh, they just signed him. Okay. Yeah. Which he, wasn't surprising. Right. No. Yeah. So I think that's good. That's it for three things. We'll take a break. We'll come back with Jason Lock and Fora. Our next guest is from Baltimore, Maryland, and is a graduate of Syracuse University. After leaving college, he worked for the Detroit Free Press and led the Red Wings to a couple Stanley Cups. He then went on to the Washington Post, where he spent over 10 years, including five as a beat writer for the Redskins. In 2009, he joined the NFL Network, where he was an NFL insider, blogger, and regular contributor to NFL Total Access and their other programs. In 2011, he moved to CBS Sports, where he appears on the CBS Sports NFL pregame show, writes for CBS.com, and is really all over the CBS platforms, including doing a lot of soccer this summer. Uh, Warm sportscasters, welcome for the fourth time. To the great Jason Lockenfora. What's up, Jason? Oh, no, I'm still waiting for them to engrave my name on the Stanley Cup. The 97 <laughs> 98 wings. I should definitely be on there somewhere. Someone should just, yeah, get a little JLC. Yeah, I like, mean. It's a tattooed onto the cup somewhere right around the 97 98 wings. That would be good. You see some of the guys on the cup, and you got to figure your, your role is just as big as, as some of those. Oh, which, yeah, yeah, I played a pivotal, I played a pivotal role. <laughs> the, the speech I gave uh, after the third game, inter- second intermission of the third game uh, against the uh, St. Louis Blues in the first round that year, I, I like to think it turned everything around. Did we ever talk about uh, you covering that team and, and the limo accident and all the emotions behind that and what uh, that might have been like? For sure you we did time? about it. Mean, I, I mean, I still remember a lot of that pretty well. But, um, yeah, it was it was crazy. Um and they won their first cup in 42 years, and there's over a million people at the parade, and the city is really on a, you know, a high. I mean, that was right around the time where it looked like that they were going to be getting new stadiums downtown for the Tigers and the Lions. I mean, it just was so much that seemed to be falling into place. Um, actually, I don't think they had a crook as the mayor at that point. I'm trying to do the math. I think the mayor was actually probably not a previously imprisoned or soon-to-be imprisoned felon. Uh, yeah, and, and and then there's this, you know, horrific accident, and for several days, I mean, there were, you know, legitimate concerns about who was going to survive, and 
and would you know would guys be losing limbs? Were guys going to be paralyzed forever? Would guys lose their mental faculties uh, for the rest of their lives? And then Slava Petisov, who's a Hall of Fame defenseman, who actually went on to play in the, the following season and win another cup, which was you know amazing. And uh, the team masseuse, Sergei Vanetskanov, who who was uh, paralyzed, and Vladimir Konstantinov, who was maybe uh, the greatest defenseman on the planet at the time. Um, and a guy really just coming into his own, uh, and, and he, you know, I mean, basically was came out of it with probably the mental capabilities of a, a very, very, very young child, someone who would need help feeding himself and, and would have to learn to walk all over again and, and you know, really was stripped of, of any sort of uh, things we, we all take for granted. Yeah, it's a terrible tragedy, and, and I was just... One last thing, and we'll move on to maybe a, a little bit of a, a more upbeat topic. But I was just wondering, like, as a beat writer in that position, I don't know if awkward is the right word, but what is it right trying to balance out your job and trying to get the yeah. information that people want and, and trying to respect privacy and, and the human yep. element? You know, it's funny. It's, it's So that was 98. I don't know. It's not me in the grand scheme of things. It's not that long ago. I mean, it doesn't seem that long ago to me. From a media standpoint, it's like the dark ages. Right. And I think I had, I, I, I may have still had a beeper. I think I had a flip phone that was pretty crappy. Uh, there was no social media. No one was worried about, do we need to put a story on the on the Internet before the newspaper? I mean, it was still, you know, you're still trying to, to use the Internet to prop up the paper a little bit and just like sort of add on stuff. But, you know, everything, the priority was the next day's paper. Um, it's just so different that the whole news uh you know, just the whole news cycle was, it was actually a little more quaint then. There actually was a news cycle. It wasn't 24-7, 365. So you actually had a little bit of time to let things breathe, which in a story like that is huge because if you would have been doing second-by-second updates, um, based on what was the most accurate information at the time, or at least close to the most accurate information at the time, you could have, on a story like that, come out looking like an idiot multiple times. Uh, because it really was so touch and go. And if you happen to catch someone at a certain moment where the, the stuff coming out of that room from the doctors was pretty negative, you know, it would color things. But then it was a very much in flux. I mean, we had multiple people going through multiple surgeries. Um, so, yeah, and, and I mean, that, it was such a huge story at the Free Press. I mean, it really, originally, the issue was editorial, like, logistically, like, are we gonna, what are we going to do with our hockey people? But we had... You know, we had people at the hospitals. We had people probably staking out the families' houses, although I don't believe there was a whole lot of door knocking going on. Um, and I was pretty much trying to be as embedded as I could be with Red Wings personnel. So a lot of my reporting was coming from what I was getting uh, from Jimmy Devolano, the team president, who, if he wasn't at the hospital, was in constant communication with the owner, Mike Gillich, and people who, who literally were in the rooms with these guys at various times. Yeah, wow. I, I didn't even think about how maybe from a career standpoint, it was maybe a blessing that that happened in 98 and not now for you, just in the sense of, like you said, how many more opportunities there would have been to maybe be wrong, I guess, in such a fluid situation like that. But I wonder- Yeah, I mean, if that, if that happened now, like, I can't even, I mean, it would, it would I mean, I, it just would have been so, news travels so quickly now, I just, it would have been pretty crazy i think a story like that um, in real time do you think we're a little bit more forgiving though of things on twitter that end up being wrong do you think we kind of 
do you think as a society we've kind of gotten to the point where we're kind of like you know what it is we understand that this is fluid and that the most instant thing might not be the most correct thing there but there's going to be another tweet in five minutes that might just correct it i don't know i don't know i i took a question i i'm hard, like when i'm so in it it's hard for me to like feel like i know what the average person would think because it's like it's literally like my livelihood you know what i mean so right. I, I, I i i don't know i mean i'm guessing some people are like eh, it happens but something like that i mean i don't know you know, I don't know. Like, Mike Florio reported how long ago that Terry Bradshaw was dead. A lot of people, when they think of Mike Florio, well, I don't know about a lot, but certainly some people, when they think of Mike Florio, you know, that's going to be one of the first things that pops in their mind. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think there's certain ones, like life and death, um, you know, guy suspended for the year, uh, guy beat up his wife. Like, I don't know. You kind of got to really be right on those. You know, I mean, I think you got to be really right on everything, but... I don't know. I don't know that if people are forgiving or not. Like, I mean, it's 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 so different now. I mean, anybody can witness anything and put it on Twitter, and there's a chance it's totally accurate, and that you know they actually did see it, and they captured it on their phone, and what they posted is real, and it could end up being some huge news event that only they're privy to. But also, it could just be complete crap. But but there's so much out there now. I I, I think like people are probably pretty willing to slough it off for a lot of you know, Joe Schmo or just some dude who has a blog or whatever, um, or is just getting a start or just isn't even in the media at all, but just put it out there. Um, you know, like Rob Lowe and whatever, he, he reported, I don't know, he said about the Colts years ago or something. Right. Um, Was you that know, the, the Richardson if, if, if it's a member of the media, someone who this is their profession, I don't know if there's so much of a sliding scale. Maybe there is. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I, I mentioned this uh, in the in the intro there, and I, I got so much about football I want to ask you, but I want to ask you uh, uh, for a second about the football and, and how much fun you had kind of – I know you're a big a big soccer guy, and it seemed like you had a, a lot of fun over the summer kind of uh, with – I mean, this World Cup, this is the biggest World Cup in, where we live that I can I can ever remember, huh? Did you, did you enjoy kind of being a part of it in some way with, your, with uh, CBS? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's certain things like that. It's almost like somebody just loved their team so much and they just start a blog about it and they just want to express it. You know what I mean? Like, they, I was all technically on vacation. I mean, like, I didn't have to do a thing, but they're like, do you want to do stuff? And I'm like, yeah, you know, especially about the U.S., I do, because there'll be things I want to get off my chest. And I also have the wherewithal to, you know, call up Clint Mathis or call up Eddie Johnson or call up Hercules Gomez or whatever and talk, you know, we talk to people who actually have been with that team recently or played with that team in the past or who are now coaching in MLS or coaching a major soccer program. You know, and so I, I can kind of, you know, have that reporter's hat on, but also vent a little bit like a fan. So I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I did. I, I hope you like do it for yeah. Copa America in 2016. Um, certainly when the U.S. national team played, they're not friendly, although who knows. I have time if I do it. But, I mean, welcome qualifying and stuff next time around. I can't imagine that they're not, you know, that if I want to kind of write some stuff, that they won't want to have it. I mean, I'd love to see us as a news entity do more with soccer. Maybe this was spurred. I mean, there was at least some internal discussions at one point about me and Ocho Cinco going over and doing, I would do columns and we would do mail on the street interviews together and we would just go to parties, you know what I mean, or go, you know, to, to bars or whatever and hang out with people and film videos and talk to different fans. At least, I mean, it was 
it was something that had a little bit of support, but it never got off the ground. And then Chad ended up, you know, resuscitating his career and getting that opportunity in Montreal, which right. was great for him. So it wouldn't have worked out anyway. Um, but yeah, Russian 2018, uh, I'd be for it. I'd go for a couple of weeks. I don't know if I don't know about doing the whole tournament. I, I covered the 06 World Cup for the Washington Post, and that was a great experience of my professional career. I mean, I they pretty much just said, pick out what match you want to go to every day. We had like two or three people who covered the U.S. So basically, whatever the match of the day was, like, I was just on the train there. Um, and, I mean, the first, the group stages, I covered one match every day. Then there's that little break, and then I, I covered a bunch of quarterfinals, finals, covered the World Cup final. So, yeah, that was, it was like, it was a long, it got to be long. I, mean, I did a lot of travel. There's a lot of overnight trains. Right. It, it was a grind, but it was absolutely amazing. That's my favorite World Cup of all time. I actually, we had Rob Stone on right before the, the World Cup, and I admitted to him and, and to all of our listeners that I am a traitor when it comes to World Cup soccer. I'm a big Italy guy. Um, he, he gave me a little bit of rope because I explained that, you know, my first World Cup I watched was 94, and I watched it with my grandmother, who's, a, you know, a first-generation Italian. She's an Italian. Uh-huh. You know, she's, my, my uh, mom is a first-generation Italian-American. So, you okay, know, my grandmother cool. was, and I wiped the tears off of her, off of her face after Roberto, Roberto Baggio sailed that ball over the, uh, over the net. So it was very exciting to be able to take some flowers to her grave after, uh, after Grasso got the big PK, uh, winner. Uh, so I, I love that 2006 World Cup. And I imagine, uh, being in Germany, um, and the Pirlo, uh, Pirlo Grasso goal and pretty much the end of it there that, that must have been a, an unbelievable thing to witness i mean i couldn't imagine it's weird though like that tournament was so weird to me because i covered a lot of italy i mean i covered a lot of their matches i covered the ghana match um US. i covered their other group stage match i covered the australian match um i was at the final but that team never really like i, I was never blown away by it. like i was never super impressed i always was kind of like even especially the australia game I mean, there were times in that game where I'm like, wow, like, Italy might actually lose this game. Right. Um, and people forget, I mean, Trapattoni was under a lot of pressure. And, I mean, that, it was uh, – and, and France was another team where I'm like, they're getting results. But I'm like, this team looks more to me to be near the end than the beginning. Like, that to me, like I kind of thought was an old team dying out. And, you know, 2010 played that out, um, you know, for, for both, both those countries. Yeah. And, and now they've both rebounded to varying degrees. But, like, that Italy team, I, I – it was weird. I just never. I mean, I found myself spending more time watching, you know, the some of their hard men, like the Gattusos or the Waiter. And, and look, Italy's not known for playing beautiful football. But it was weird. That tournament, I, I think I saw them more than any other team, and I just kept thinking, you know what? I think they're going out the next match. And it's it obviously never happened. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that was Buff, I mean, Buffon. I mean, they only gave up the own goal against the U.S. and. Zidane's PK the whole tournament. That was the only goals that went in the net. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, and I mean, there were definitely stretches of play. Yeah. I mean, that was a very athletic kind of team. That Australia team got up and down the wing a little bit. But there were times where I was like, wow, they're going to be, they could be in trouble. But, you know, obviously, obviously, uh, you know, they had the last laugh. Yeah. I'm sure that's one that Germany. But if, you, if you were Giuseppe Rossi, you would have done the same thing? <laughs> I don't know about that, but. Um... He knows better than me, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, it was. You know what I'm saying, if you know Giuseppe Rossi, the kid who grew up in New Jersey, who oh yeah, you know, played oh, in yeah, Spain, he was in the U.S. until he was yep. 13, 14 years old. Yep. His dad was a big Italy supporter. 
he goes over there. He's in the, I, I can't remember whose youth team he was in, uh, over there. Um, you know, and he played, and you know, now he's an, he's an Italian international, not a U.S. But this kid, yeah, this is a New Jersey kid. I probably wouldn't have done it. I do, I do love the USA so much, and that that's what I said too. Is like, I hope people don't take this as me like sitting somewhere rooting against the USA. The only time I even like thought maybe I didn't want them to win was that 2006 match against Italy, and basically I just sat there the whole time thinking this is awkward. You know what I mean? And I. And and to I said this to Rob too. To some degree, I almost would want the USA to win it more than Italy, in some aspects, because it would just be such a huge moment for the USA to. And I think I used the word conquer then too, and I don't like that word conquer soccer. But to be able to reach the ultimate heights in soccer, I just think would be so amazing for athletics in the US. So if I was good enough to play world soccer and I was in the same spot as Rob, I would probably stick stick home and play for the USA. Yeah. Yeah. I wish he had. Yeah. I certainly, I certainly wish he had. If he had, I think the U.S. would have got that bonus. But yeah. that's, neither, that's neither here nor there. Well, but yeah, that was the only point that we dropped in that whole tournament was the problem yeah. with the U.S. Yeah. It was such an ugly game. It was so overly visible in the red cards and everything. But it was also beautiful in the, just that it was just like pure guts on both players. I mean, neither team would wilt. You know what I mean? It was yeah. like a couple of heavyweights just standing there like bleeding. Yeah, that, it was an ama- yeah, that was great. And I just, I just remember it being so awkward for me at – I watched it's it. With- Brian McBride. If anybody was ever like, he was like a magnet for elbows. I mean, that guy, he, he was a bleeder. Yeah. He, my favorite U.S. players of all time, and he gave it all. I was really. He was, like, he was always, he was always hurt. He was always getting kicked in the head or hit the head or elbows in the head. Yeah, I was really frustrated with the red card that they got in the in the Uruguay game. I, I just don't, I guess, understand soccer enough to understand why someone would ever be kicked out of the game for that. I know there's been various, you know, like some people, oh, he kicked over the ball or whatever, but I just, I don't know. It was a frustrating thing for someone who essentially watches Italy World National Games and doesn't watch much else because I just, I, I, was, I was saying to someone just the other night, like I'd love to have a club team, but I just don't even know where to start. Like I wouldn't even know who to pick. I can't. You might as well start in Italy. I mean, I, right, I except for I mean, the, games are, the games are broadcast in Italian. Like, I don't know how to... Yeah, so what? I know, like, three swear words that my grandma used to say to me chasing me <laughs> around the house. You know what I mean? Like, I... Yeah. But... See, I don't really love Syria. I mean, I, I, that league doesn't really do it for me. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's, obviously there's players with great technical ability there, but just the whole style of culture, like, it just doesn't... It just doesn't appeal to me. That's the one, that's the one big European league that I probably pay the least attention to. Yeah, I think I'd have to go EPL. But I, you know... I don't know. We're way... I really like the Bundesliga, but it's harder to see those games now. When I was a kid, that was the only league you could see over here. Now, they only do the matches on goal TV. They don't replay them that often, and I think a lot of times it's just goal TV in Espanol, so it's tough, but that, I, I really enjoy that league. Yeah. I, uh, I, I'm looking forward to, uh, to watching more and more, and I think everyone... Is, is kind of at that point, you know, or it seemed like uh, one last thing about this. And then we got to get to football. Cause I'm sure you don't want to talk to me all night. And I do have a ton of uh, NFL stuff. I want to ask you, but is, is awesome as, uh, as the watching the U S games were this year. One thing I felt like really stood out to me. I think I, it stopped me at one point. I'm like, you know, the way this country can tend to get divided about so many things. It's so amazing to have this one thing that we can all unite and scream about being loving being American about. And I think that that was a huge part of why it was so 
popular this time. Like we were just so ready to stand together and in flag t-shirts with flags around our back and say, yes, we love being American. We're all on the same page in this one. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I just hope that it, um, it doesn't have to be every four years. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I, I hope that's the legacy that comes from this because there were more viewer parties. I mean, I can, you know, my first World Cup was 82. So, I mean, I, and you couldn't get the games. You could not get the games on TV in the U.S. anywhere unless you literally had one of the old school big ass satellite dishes in your backyard and you could pull, uh, feed some other countries out of the sky. That was it. It wasn't on take delay. Wasn't on TNT. It was not. It was not broadcast. There were no U.S. broadcasts like to speak of. We so to go from that in my lifetime, and I'm only forty. I'm not that old. To this is great. But you know, '94 was a boom. But I mean, '94 gave us MLS. So I mean, that was significant. But still, it, it, it's still an every four year thing. And, and you know, it doesn't have to be. And, and for the diehards, it's not. But I'd love to see more people paying attention to World Cup qualifiers, more people paying attention to some of the bigger friendlies we play. And, and again, I, I really hope this 2016 Copa America is as good of a tournament as I think it, it's going to be. Um, and having that on U.S. soil, and I hope, I, I believe all this is being pulled off. Hopefully all this goes through. I think that could really be a big springboard to get people out of the mindset of every four years. Yeah, and it could really be the third straight year too, because next year, you know, we're going to get into the women's world cup. Absolutely. With it being in Toronto. So that's two years in a row. And then if 2016 has another big tournament where we can get it in the men again, that's just, I could really see the momentum building. And so. you also have the Olympic tournament in 2016. We've got, uh, the men's under 20 world cup is next year. I believe, uh, is there a gold? Is there a gold? I think there's a gold cup next summer too. I mean, there's a lot Soccer is the ultimate year-round sport. Yeah, so if you, sure. do, if you do find yourself a club team and you have a country to support, it'll get you through pretty much 12 months of the year. Yeah, well, we got to get more Jason Lock and Fora first for Italy because they win World Cups. Your first one you watched, they won in 82, and then yeah. first one you covered in Germany. Yeah, won, I can so. remember Dino Dawson. I remember uh, Polo Rossi and some of the goals. He got hot scoring goals in 82. And yeah. That, that, was, that was my favorite tournament of my lifetime. Um other than this last one. I mean, to me, this last one certainly rivals it um, and, and maybe surpasses it in some ways. But 80, 82 was something else. All right. This is what I, the first thing I have to ask you are I wouldn't be able to walk the streets in my hometown, which is hard enough to do being a Saints fan in Buffalo. But anyway, what do you think? What have you heard the last couple of days about the bids and the possibility yeah. of this ultimate dream of Terry Pagula owning the Bills and the Sabres and just saving the city? essentially two times, and, and what, what are you hearing right now? What, what, what's That's your vibe? certainly what a lot of people there are hoping for, and, and um, you know, I've, I've talked to people in that city who are involved in this in one capacity or another. Um, they have the sense that he will do what's necessary, even if it means kind of doing what happened with the L.A. Clippers, which is bidding 30 40% more than maybe the market says they should, just to make sure he gets them to make sure they stay in Buffalo. Now, maybe some of this is homespun, um, wishful thinking, but I've heard it from enough people who, who aren't naive to believe there's something to it. I believe it'll come down to that Bon Jovi group uh, and the Pagula group. Um, I know the I know a lot of people in that Bills organization are praying it's Pagula because that'll buy them some time and probably buy them their job for another year or two. If it's, you know, that, that other bid, they're going to come in and clean, clean house and bring in all their own people probably immediately. You know, you're talking about Rogers Communication and Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment 
those are monstrous entertainment empires. The wide communication is huge. Uh, they have all kinds of employees to call upon. They, they've got their own way of doing things. Uh, they have a lot of their own people to bring in in terms of team presidents and running the team and all that. So it'll be interesting to see how it shapes out. I've heard that the, the, the family is very pleased with sort of the, the uh, initial papers that they got from the various parties and some of the projected values of the team. Uh, so they're going to do they're going to do quite well. Uh, yeah, twenty five k bought it for twenty five thousand bucks. You bought it for way back when. So he's <laughs> it's going to be a nice profit at the end, I think. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think it'll be north of a billion. I, I do. Um, how much north is probably the better question. But um, you know, so the family will sort through some of this, but we'll go down the list. We'll allow those people at the end of this month some time to peruse some more detailed financial information. Um, People will sort of submit some bids. We'll narrow it down to two or three teams. They'll take it to the uh, NFL Finance Committee September the 11th to kind of uh, tell them what they're thinking. Uh, if all goes well there and everybody's vetted and they, they have the offer that they want, it would then be submitted to the owners at the owners' meetings in October. And by that point, it's a rubber. It gets to that point, it's a rubber stamp. These guys will yeah. these guys will vote on it, and the, the bills would have new ownership. Do you think that? Pagula having just recently been vetted by the NHL helps his process at all in any way? Yeah, I mean, I guess, but they're going to do, you know, the NFL is going to do its own thing anyway, and his wealth kind of speaks for itself. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I I, don't think there's a whole lot of questions there as to his liquidity. Now, you're on the road. Uh, we're talking to you as you're driving, I believe, from Cincinnati to Indianapolis. Uh, but you were in Rochester and got a chance to look at the Bills, and I noticed the one thing it seemed like that stood out to you and seems to be standing out to I know Ian Rappaport's been there already, Peter King's been there already, and everyone seems to come away saying the same thing, that, wow, Sammy Watkins is pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's a combination of two things. Sammy Watkins is special, and I'm, I'm boy, I hope they're right on the quarterback, you know? I, I, we'll see. Uh, but, yeah, Sammy, Sammy's the real deal on the field and off. Um, I'm sure he will be everything they want. Were they at a point in their development as an organization where going all in and doubling down on an offensive skill player and trading future picks was the way to go? Well, you know, that's going to all play out in a wash. And also, he plays a defensive position. So is he going to get the ball consistently enough? Uh, will there be enough accuracy out of the quarterback position? That, you know, we'll find out. Yeah, we were kind of speculating around draft time that maybe they would really go hard just knowing that this might be the last year as you kind of said with ownership changing that maybe they would need to possibly put the really go for it hard this year to to keep jobs but then I was thinking about it more and it's like well then why didn't they keep Bird and then it sort of seems like maybe and maybe you can attest this either way he just wasn't coming back here that they did make a pretty hard run at him was yeah that- I mean that one there but some of the ups and downs I mean when that didn't get done a year ago that was that was really the time. Yeah. Him coming back on the franchise, that was going to be the end of, of uh, him in, in Buffalo. Um, so I don't know how interrelated they, they, you know, those situations are. I just, you know, they, they. I talked to Doug Whaley about it a lot. You know, he feels like they're they're not that far, and that this combination, um, quarterback wide receiver, would given. The, the strength at other points in the roster will be enough to get them over the top. Um, 
you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, that E.J. Manuel pick, about, because Sammy's going to be a player. I mean, that E.J. Manuel pick, I mean, it was, that was super ballsy. A lot of young GMs, man, will take the best tackle available. Give me the best pass rusher and the best left tackle available when I'm picking that high, and we'll live the fight another day. You saw the Jags do it last year. You saw Howie Roseman do it in Philadelphia. You know, his first draft, really, at that ball. I was Chip Kelly picking his pick anyway, but, I mean, whatever, that regime. Um, you know, you, you, you often see that. I mean, John Dorsey gets the Chiefs, first-time GM. Oh, we're going to take a tackle on top. Uh, they, they, they buck convention, and I give him credit for having, uh, you know, the courage to do that, but, man, if you're wrong, like, I call it quadrupling down. I mean, they doubled first draft, then you double down. Boom. We're going to take this quarterback at least a round higher than a lot of people would have, if not more. Um, and, and he doesn't look that great. You go six, you're six and ten again, and he has trouble staying healthy, and you got some other holes, and you double, you double down again, you quadruple down, and now you trade a bunch of picks to move up some slots. To get a wide receiver who really needs that quarterback to be effective, um, and your backups are Thad Lewis and Jeff Toole, so it's not a situation where you brought in a Mike Vick to push, you know, or or, or compete. There's no Brian Hoyer, there's no Mike Vick there. It's guys who, are, you know, not much more experienced if at all than EJ. That's that, that's that's pretty bold. Yeah, and uh, they couldn't have been happy on July first, obviously, with all of those bold moves and then losing Kiko, which. You know, it's such a huge pick for them because it was the first time in so long that they really, really nailed one. You know, I mean, Jarris Bird was the first Bill to make the Pro Bowl at the position they drafted him at since Eric Moulds, I think. So, wow. I mean, that, you know, Jason Peters made it, but they drafted him as a tight end. So, right. you know, so there was other guys, but that was like the one pick where it's like, wow, they finally really, really nailed one. And But I guess if you got to lose your middle linebacker, you'd probably rather do it July first and October first, I guess. Yeah, that I don't is know. that's a that's a tough one. I mean, you take you take Alonzo and Bird out of that defense now, and it's tough. Yeah, it's really tough. Uh, you've been you've been to some really interesting places already. You've been to Cleveland. We all know the circus that's going on there. You mentioned Buffalo. I've seen you in Cincinnati. Uh, you started in New York uh, with the Jets. Uh, what are some things that have stuck out on your tour, which is about six days old so far? Ah. <sighs> You know, I, I, I'm a little bit, I hate, I hate to read too much in there. You know, I'm there for one day, I parachute in, I parachute out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, based on what I see, it's hard to do that because you're, you're seeing a snapshot of something that's a continuum. I mean, it's more what I, the sense I get talking to people, you know, are they truly optimistic? Who are they high on? Who aren't they high on? You know, I, I, I do like the Jets. Though. I think if the Jets get any kind of quarterbacking, they could be an interesting team because I, that defense is, is it's pretty legit. I think Deep Miller is going to be a little. No, he's got to be better than he was last year. I, I think he'll take a nice step up for them. I, I love their defensive line. Um, you know, I just they got their swagger back on defense last year. I, I you know, I, I think Jets could be could be an interesting key. I think they'll run the football a little better second year in morning legs system. If they played Mike Vick, and at some point I think they will. I think mean, he stays relatively healthy. I think they they could be interesting. Um, you know, the Browns, it's, I was the most interesting to me is just how, you know, inside that facility, Johnny Football is almost like a shy, quiet, reserved rookie, uh, more so than he is, you know, the guy you see in all these pictures on Dead State and stuff. So he's really kind of having to figure out how to find common ground with guys and how to approach them. And then he's, I won't say he's a loner, but he does kind of keep to himself a little bit. So we'll see how that evolution, uh, comes on field and off. Um, yeah. Now, uh, 
I think this kid, Terrence West, who the Browns drafted out of Towson, who I've kind of been a fan of for a while because he plays football across the street from my house, at least did at college, and I like that program a lot. Uh, I think he's going to take some carries away from Ben Tate. I think he's going to be on the field a fair amount early. In Cincinnati, Giovanni Bernard looks out of his mind. Uh, he looks like he, and I think Hugh Jackson's going to feed him a lot, even though they drafted the running back from LSU. Um, you know, with the Bills, obviously, it was a lot of Sammy, uh, without a doubt. I think people, people were super excited about that. I kind of like Marquise Goodwin. If he can stay healthy, I mean, I liked what I saw of him last year when I yeah, was there. Yeah, he can run. Obviously, he was a little star-crossed, but I think if they could ever... What scares me about that, too, is they don't have a tight end. I mean, if I'm them, I'm, I'm, by, like, the third preseason game, I'm, I'm seeing what kind of value is there for C.J. Spiller. And if I can trade him for a tight end who can help me right now and a draft pick down the road or something like that, I'm going to do it. Um, because, as I said, they would, and after that, they were going to extend Fred Jackson. They want to keep him around, at least for a couple more years. They're very intrigued by Bryce Brown. Um... I mean, I just, there's always so much, you know, they, they got Sammy now. They want to be able to throw the ball a little bit more. They feel like they can put together, because everybody's healthy with, uh, you know, the two kids they drafted last year, plus Sammy, a really good young receiving court. I just don't know how many carries there are to go around. It's going to be hard to work out an extension with CJ. Right. I don't think he even has representation right now. Um, does he fit this offense the way he fits the old one? Is he a luxury? You know, is he going to be able to stay healthy? Is he a luxury they can't really afford? I just... We've seen a lot of running backs get hurt already, and, and I tend to think that'll continue to happen. So that'll be an interesting thing for me with the Bills. I know you're headed to, to Indianapolis now. I'm not sure what else you have left on your tour, but what are the other things going forward now that you're looking forward to seeing on the stops along the way? Is there anything at the top of the notebook that, as you go to a place or two, you really want to really. No. For me, it's really just about reconnecting with people. Um, you know, guys are somewhat more relaxed this time of year, so... Uh, you know, talking to GMs, talking to coaches that you know on various teams, you know, seeing some familiar faces. Um, it's, it's more about that, really, than anything else for, for me personally. Um, but, yeah, uh, you know, I look forward to talking to Ryan Grinch, and I always do my conversation with him. He's one of the bright young GMs in the league. St. Louis, uh, Coach Fisher, I always enjoy hanging out with him. Actually, St. Louis, I mean, Greg Williams is a guy who I think is a hell of a football coach, and I think he's going to do a tremendous job and, in St. Louis, and I think this year it's going to be interesting. I, I think he could very well be one of these guys who rises from the grave. I mean, it looked like his football career, the NFL seemed to kind of putting a bullet to it a few years ago. Right. And now, who knows? He might be one of the best defensive football. I mean, that that I want to see this front seven. I mean, I'm, I'm still not sold on them totally in the back end, but if they get the kind of pressure I think they're going to get, that team's going to be hell to play every week. Yeah, I'm really excited to see what Sam Bradford can do this year too, just because I'm a big Sam Bradford fan, and um, you know I think it was 14 and four interception to or touchdown interception before his injury last year, and I, I it'll just be I, I just really want to see it. You know I know people want to be done with him. He's sort a great of, but, kid. I yeah. mean he's an easy, easy, easy kid to root for, and I am. But he's also I mean he's not a kid anymore. No, you know what I mean? Like this yep. is. It's been make or break years, I feel like, for three years. You know what I mean? I feel like the last, it's been at least three years that I could have, you know, drove into Kent, uh, to St. Louis and to the column and, you know, make or break for Sam Bradford. Um, you know, and look, they, 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 were, they, they, they were in that Johnny Mandel at the end of the first round. Um, I don't think they would have traded back up as high as he went at 22. But he was at 25, 26, 27. I, the Rams trading into that round to get him would not have shocked me at all. So, 
Uh, we'll see with Sam. I, I think this really kind of truly is it, though. Uh, he plays out this year, you're at a point where he, maybe he's still somewhat tradable, but you really have to start thinking of, of, of you know, who is the guy. If there's good defensively, I think they're going to be, if they continue to progress running the football as they have, um, you know, it is going to be decision time on, on him because you're sitting there now going in the last year where, you know, you're going to pay him another $14 million and play it out and drag this out another year, or you're going to extend him. And if you're not doing one of those two, then, you know, you're seeing what value is out there for him and trading him. Yeah, it's a huge year for Sam and the Rams. The sportscasters are finishing up with Jason Lackenfora, who's making finished a great fourth trip into the sportscasters here. I really appreciate all the time. Just a couple of real quick things I want to ask you about before I let you go. Uh, one, when you first heard two games for Ray Rice, what was Ooh. just your reaction? I didn't believe it. You couldn't believe it? I didn't it. believe it. What did you expect? I didn't believe it. I thought it would be at least four. He thought it would be at least four. Some of his advisors who I'm close to thought it would be at least four. And there were actually people close to him who were hoping it was at least four because they were really afraid that if it looked like he got off easy and got preferential treatment or the league wasn't taking this seriously enough, that it would open up a whole new can of worms. And it did. That it would continue the controversy and that it would continue to dog him even more so than it may have otherwise. Not that it's not going to dog him the rest of his life anyway. Um, and all that's played out. Yeah. So, you know... Uh, some people kind of saw this coming. I, I, I thought it was a real chance for the league to open up a brave new world with how they deal with domestic violence, particularly because there's some video evidence here um, where we don't always have that. And I thought maybe they would establish a new task force, reach out to the House of Root, start some new committees, and say, I know in the past a guy who never got in trouble before who did this only got a game or two, but we're starting a new chapter here, and we're going to treat this more stringently. They, they did the opposite. Yeah, yeah. Whoever was was talking to you before, they were dead on because it did open a, a whole new can of worms. And I don't know where Rice, Ray Rice goes from here. Especially, I mean, he's he's first off, he's going to have to be a lot better on the field. I don't mean to mix the two, but in terms of public perception, you can you can rebuild your the best way to rebuild your reputation is to be really good on the field. That makes people forget. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. It just tends to happen that way. And if he's like he was last year, I don't know how much longer he's gonna he's gonna be be able to to stick this out. I don't know. But yeah, I, I mean, I live in Baltimore. This guy does does so much for the community that people know about, and a whole lot more that they don't. Um, and it's a shame. Um, it's a shame it happened, but it's a heinous crime in my estimation. And uh, you know, it will. It, it's, I don't know. I mean, even no matter what he does on the field or off, when people are writing about him or talking about him or writing his little bit, it's, it's probably going to be in the first paragraph, right? I mean, I yeah. that, that's, that's just the reality. And, and, and I think he gets that. Um, and, 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 but we are also a forgiving society and, and look at what Mike Vick's been able to do career-wise and image-wise. Um, and, and he made it, he took a, a real negative and made it into a positive. And, you know, maybe Ray over time find a way to do that as well. Yeah, and maybe there's a there's a, a lesson to be learned from Vic too. The way he seemed he seemed to rebuild it was by taking the cause of his crime. So maybe if you know Ray Rice turns into this big advocate for men against violence against women. The crazy thing is, bullying is already a cause that he was championing before it became sort of like the en vogue cause in celeb. I mean, in a lot of local high schools and middle schools, uh, he did a lot of work in that regard. And, and I mean, domestic violence obviously is. Uh, a disgusting form of bullying. So, 
um, you know, it's it's just unfortunate. All right, uh, Jason Lockenfora is on Twitter. He's at Jason Lockenfora. He writes for CBS.com. He's going to be all over all the platforms of CBS this year. Are you excited about Thursday Night Football? I am incredibly excited about it. Um, I'm glad about it. I think they will. The the commitment that Les Moon does, the president of CBS, the sports president of CBS. I still got gotcha. you. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited to have... So it's uh Awesome. And very last thing, how good are the Orioles? And uh, are you going to add anyone here? Or what's that like for the O's the rest I, I of the way? I certainly hope. I had MLB radio on before you called. So it's been back and forth about whether they are in on Lester or not. Uh, I get the sense that the Angelos will open the first strings up a little bit here and, and give Duquette a chance to do something that makes sense. But trading, you know, two top 50, pitching prospects for a, a, a guy as much of a stud as Lester is, he's an absolute stud. Uh, if you're only renting him for two months, that, that's a steep price to pay. But I, I do not think it's a, it's a good team that, that has the potential uh, to, to be to be very good. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I, I actually would like to team out of bat which I know a lot of people look at their numbers and say they don't need it. If you watch them on a daily basis, how reliant they are on the home run ball and how they lack situational hitting and how certain for big chunks of the season, five, six, seven, eight, can be a black hole in their lineup. Uh, you know, Nelson Cruz has slowed down a little bit, which is natural. Steve Pierce wasn't going to play like an all-star forever. So I, I, I actually look like seeing him do something that long as well. But, yeah, I'm to see how it shakes out. A top of the line started to change everything. You put a John Lester in there, um, and I think it could be absolutely a World Series team. Awesome. Well, I'll be rooting for you uh, in that sense. So looking forward to seeing you, following your coverage this year. Anything else you wanted to mention to our fans that I maybe didn't get out of? There's so many different things. I, no, no. I just, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, enjoy the conversation as always, and I'm sure we'll do it again. All right. Thank you so much for all the time. We appreciate it. You got it, buddy. No worries. The tragedy of the lost book club theme continues. I have no, I have no idea. Apparently, I don't know if you heard this on the last show, but we have played a Final Fantasy theme to kind of, sort of make fun of us for being dorks and creating a segment on our own podcast about books. And we use that, and now that's gone. So I don't know what we're gonna do. We're either gonna change it to something or just play some random Final Fantasy video every week. But uh. First of all, I want to thank Jason Lack and Ford for being on the podcast. That was pretty awesome. To get 40 minutes with a guy like that is just awesome. And uh, it, I really enjoyed it. The one thing, he was driving in, in God knows where, Indiana. And he did cut out a little bit at the end there when he was talking about Thursday Night Football coming to CBS. And that stinks. And I probably should have asked him to repeat it, but he'd already been on with me for 40 minutes. And I didn't, I felt like it was time to end it. I, I started starting to feel bad, even though. He seemed into it, which was great. But uh, he was bas- he basically said he's really excited, was basically the answer to that question. And I'm sorry to Jason and, and to you guys that that cut out. But, uh, and, and I blew it. I should have asked him to repeat that. But um, thanks to Jason Lock and Flora for that. Real quick thing on the book club. Uh, book Club Book of the Year is just about ready to be announced, but not. 
and we've been saying that for a while to the point that n- no one probably cares anymore. Uh, so again, that's that's our bad. But uh, next week in this spot, the book club update, we'll have a book club book of the year announcement and a new book club book of the month, which is going to be really exciting. And is as we always say about the book club, the reason we do it is because it leads to huge bookings, and we might have one to announce next week uh, around uh, a book about the SEC. Hint, hint. Uh, thanks again to Jason. We're going to take another break. We're going to come back with Jeremy Taggart, who was the drummer for a band called Our Lady Peace, who was huge in Canada from like 98 to 2005-ish, maybe a little bit more, a little bit less. Had a little bit of run in the U.S., but was always huge in Buffalo with us being a border town. Uh, check them out. Look them up. Uh, and uh, definitely check this out. This interview out. He's, he's awesome. Uh, it's a little long, but it's fun. And then Don and I will be back. Uh, to finish it off with one last thing after that. Uh, We'll be right back. Our next guest is from Mansfield, Ontario, and had spent the last 20 years playing drums for the Canadian rock band Our Lady Peace. He recently announced he's no longer with the band, becoming a free agent. He hosts a podcast called Taggart and Torrens and often appears on the Jay and Dan podcast. Has a killer Twitter feed. He's making his first appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Jeremy Taggart. What's up, Jeremy? How's it going, man? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for inviting me on the show there, Steve. So is it just you here? It's just me here. I do have a partner, okay. but uh, he, he lays low. He, he doesn't do much interviewing. You know, He just kind of uh, comes in on Tuesdays and, and gives his definitive opinions on things. That's good. Like, I don't know good if you heard. have an extra but, ge- ear there. For yeah, sure. I don't know if you heard, but LeBron James is going back to Cleveland. I'm sure you haven't noticed. I did. I, 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 I did hear that. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm sure... Uh, Everybody's pretty excited. I'm I'm actually, you know, happy for the city because I'm always happy when a city that's kind of uh, in dire need of something to to uh, make it better, uh, an influx of cash. And uh, there's no more bigger story for the NBA than having LeBron James in your town, and especially coming back and being from Ohio. I think it's just an amazing thing for the city and probably just what they need because uh, they got uh, Manziel right. Yeah, absolutely. So it's just uh, that's that's massive. Look, I uh, look uh, look what happened with Winnipeg and the Jets, the downtown core over the last you know couple of years. It's just kind of grown and grown, mainly because of the uh, economy being better, but also just the people coming downtown on a regular basis and uh, throughout the season. So it's great. Yeah, I think when you live in Buffalo, too, like I do, when you see good things happen to Cleveland, you're happy because it makes you think good things can happen to Buffalo, too, because we're so close and so similar. And um, So I always, I don't have anything. I'm all, I'm all for Cleveland all the time. Well, know? yeah, like yeah. How, how bad would it be for real if, like, the Bills left? You oh, know, it'd be devastating, devastating. City just, yeah. it, they'd be up in arms, like, what's going on? What's the point now, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be devastating. and. I, we're looking for a hero, I think. Here, you know, we got six or seven years to find one. And I, do you I like the bon, Do you like the Bon Jovi? Uh, well, people here don't very much. All That's of a sudden, what I'm saying because he wants to take <laughs> yeah. it here because people know that he's best buddies with Liwicky, right? Right. Yeah. 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 So, he, so he, like it's just like, and he's pretend. Oh no, no, I don't want to. 
I don't want to take the team to Toronto. Mm-hmm. Right. Hey, you know, sure. that's sure, what he wants to do for right. sure, right? right? Yeah, I I thought that experiment sort of already failed, though. I don't know. Toronto just doesn't. Feel I like think it fell too. Thing. I don't think it. Yeah. I don't think uh, it would work. I, I I've owned like I figure if you're uh, if you're an an NFL team or an owner or even just the the actual the union looking at every time they've had a game and they can't even sell the half the place. So wouldn't wouldn't you wouldn't it shouldn't it be like just jammed and people going crazy going okay this will work right it should be you know? someone besides Rob Ford eating chicken wings at the game. Right. I mean, exactly, and nobody right. cares. They right. really don't. It's, it's a very multicultural city. It's not a typical uh, American city, that's for sure. There's, there's. That's why it's thriving. The TFC is thriving because there's just people coming from all over the place that are craving seeing football and soccer and, as a sport and somebody to root for. So that's that's one of the main reasons that it's working is just because Toronto is just a, a different kind of city. And an NFL team right smack down in the center of downtown just it doesn't doesn't uh, I don't think it would work overnight. That's for sure. Yeah, I, it just I I would be surprised if if the Bills end up there. I'd be surprised if they end up anywhere but here. I don't know. I just think that there's not a lot of upside for the league to move them. I, I guess LA is the biggest threat, really. But I think that there's well, maybe other parts. Yeah, yeah, and, the, and you're right. The idea of the NFL is to to kind of. A lot of cities. I mean, think about Green Bay. It's like the, if it wasn't for the, the the team being there, it's just a huge part and in, in influx to the city that's very necessary. And the Bills are no exception to that rule. And I think I think the NFL, uh, the commissioner, and all those people in, in those places probably respect that and understand that that's a huge decision that's part of the deal, right? Yeah, and I mean they're the only team that actually plays NFL football in the state of New York. You know the Jets and the Giants play yeah. in New Jersey, and so yeah. I don't know, but that's something that's going to play out, I guess, one way or another over the course of they're going to be here for six years regardless, based on the lease. You know, so yeah. we'll see what happens. But uh, for sure, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about 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 Canada, my relationship to Canada. Uh, you know, growing up, I actually live in, in North Tonawanda now, which is north of uh, north of Buffalo, but I grew up in in Buffalo proper and. You know, I was exit one on the 190, and the Peace Bridge is yeah. like exit six or something like that. Man. And, uh, you know, tr- going to Fort Erie for Chinese food on a Tuesday, you know, wasn't necessarily a crazy idea in my house. Like, what do we want to do for dinner tonight? I don't know. Let's go to Fort Erie and have Chinese food. And, like, when I talk to people who live in, I don't know, uh, I think of a mid. I mean, even Ohio, maybe. You know, the thought of, like, going yep. to another country just so regularly like that is, is foreign. And we take it for granted in Buffalo. And yeah. uh, I, spent- I I love North Tonawanda. I remember watching shows from western New York growing up because you could get the feed. Mm-hmm. And there'd be, like, there was a show that these two guys used to sit together and they'd, like, put a movie on and then talk about the movie and just... I can't remember the name of it, but it was at night, and it was just one of the best things ever to watch, and it was totally like five people watching it. But uh, it was a beauty to behold, and I think that was back when Irv Weinstein was like right, yeah, Chancellor. Yeah, yeah. I had the same experience with CBC. You know, I grew up on Hockey Night in Canada and Don Cherry, and you know, because we were yeah. able to get get CBC, sure. and uh, 
this is gonna this is gonna get to you in a second. So like I grew up in in coming back and forth to to Buffalo and Toronto and playing hockey all the time in Toronto. And then my younger brother, uh, who was turned out to be way way better than me, uh, played a lot um, in, at the York Ice Garden. Spent so much time there uh, with my younger brother. And then as I got older, and my first and biggest love in music is Pearl Jam. So. Um, you know, they're my favorite band at one of the very first things at our new arena downtown was the Pearl Jam show and I, on the no code. Always put on a good, a good concert. Yeah. I've been to 78 of them now. Um, wow. Holy moly. You are a fan. Yeah. My first one was in Buffalo. My second one was in Molson Park and Barry in 1998, uh, which was the same week. I, I was at that show. Were you there? I didn't see you. Yeah. Were you, were you, you and well, your buddies? I was backstage hanging out with the fellas being Mr. Cool Guy. <laughs> you and you and your buddies weren't the ones with the, the couch on the truck that I talked about? You remember that? I don't know about that, but I do like remember a... people doing stuff like that. Yeah. This was like, was that uh, 97 or 96? 98, or August of 98. 98, yeah, it was 98. And they, who else did they have Cheap with them? Cheap Trick opened. Cheap Trick, that's and right. And then before... Yeah, before that, like Matt Good played, like outside of the main gate. The Matthew Good band actually at the time played, yeah. and yeah. I think there was a couple other bands like on a second stage. It was like all day. There was it's almost like a sort yeah. of a festival, but in the middle of the Yield tour, like a festival in Muscle Park and Barry or whatever. And my I do remember that. My that was my brother's first ever travel hockey tournament, the famous Canada's Wonderland tournament. Um, that was that weekend. Um, at the right. at yeah. York. So I was there with the family all weekend, and then I went to Pearl Jam. It was a Sunday, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, because I remember Matt Cameron just joined. Yep, yeah, it was his first that's tour. Why, that's, yeah. that's why I was there. Yeah, Matt Cameron's a stud. He's, he's, you know, they had five drummers, but now he's been there the longest. And, of course, he sure. made the uh, the decision sort of this summer. Push came to shove finally, and he sort of chose Pearl Jam over uh, Soundgarden, sort of. I mean, he's still done some Well, he'd been in stuff. that band for so long, too, yeah. at that point, and it's a great thing for him. And, uh well, don't forget that he was actually, he did the demos for 10. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely, yep. yep he's had a long history with those guys just before even Pearl Jam was around, so for sure it makes sense that he was with them, and uh, I think the fact that, that uh, they've been so good to him for the last 12 years or whatever it was when he had to make that decision, and all it was was just like two months of touring, you know, right. so I mean, he's he ended up doing the rest of the Soundgarden dates, and he ended up having actually uh, Matt Chamberlain fill in, who's PJ an drummer. awesome drummer. Yeah. And it's funny because Matt Chamberlain was in Pearl Jam yeah. for like a couple of months way <laughs> back in the early days. So it's and he left Pearl Jam for Saturday, Saturday Night Live mm-hmm. that gig. Yeah, it's crazy. That and then only ended up only did it for a little while, and then uh, yeah, so he was probably missing that. Pearl Jam gig. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> That's life, though, man. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You make decisions, and it uh, doesn't matter. He's super successful anyway. It's like Jokey, or, uh, Jackie the Joke Man leaving the Stern Show or something, right? Like, Yeah, but didn't he leave because he hated his guts or whatever? Like, that's kind of, you know. I think he thought really... that they would, he, I think it was money, and, like, he thought that he could leave, and they'd say, all right, we'll give you what you want, Jackie, and... They said, yeah. no, we'll just get Artie Lang instead and forget it. But uh, anyway, yeah. what I was telling you was, uh, so I was a, a big, you know, big fan of uh, a Pearl Jam. And uh, I love the, you know, Seattle grunge thing happened like when I was 11 or 12 and first started getting sure. into music. That wasn't my dad's. You know, I still 
like I learned about rock music through my dad. And no, I hear you. Know, I mean, I'm the same way right. with music from the '60s and '70s. Like I didn't, I wasn't there for the '60s, but it feels close enough because my parents were so into it, and you know, it's still music made by people playing. So it's not that hard to figure out to to be to feel closer to it, right? Right. And so the point of all this was when I was seven. Well. Actually, the first time I saw your band was at a, on a very awkward night at Buff State College. I was a sophomore in high school, so it must have been like 95-ish, when you guys played with Sponge and Candlebox. And I say it was awkward yeah. because for whatever reason, maybe you remember this or no more than I do, but Candlebox and The Edge got in some kind of a fight about something. And I don't know exactly, but... I remember Candlebox was just in a miserable mood, and they stood backwards a lot of the time, and they didn't play far behind, like in, on purpose or something. I don't know. It yeah, was, I don't remember that. I was probably probably gone know, by done then. by then. Right. Yeah, but I remember yeah. only sort of knowing Starseed at that point from Hits FM, and yeah. kind of watching and thinking, "Oh, this is pretty cool." But then, kind of forgetting, like being a scatterbox, and then I was a senior in high school when. Clumsy came out and when Superman's dad hit and I just remember thinking, being so excited about the idea that I could adopt this band as sort of my other band. And not only uh-huh. not only could I do that, but they made music like near me. And they were yeah. they were talking about things that mattered to me. Like in nineteen ninety six I guess you could relate to some of the things. Right. It felt like everything. Right, it felt like everything Our Lady Peace talked about in 1997 spoke directly to me in some way. And that was so great, and it was so great because not only was it happening, but it was happening by people who made this music literally in a place that I had been a thousand times in my life. It wasn't made in some mythical American city that I only had dreams of in Seattle, way out there west. It was actually being made like where I lived, sort of. Yeah, no, I hear you, man. That's great. I understand that for sure. And it was such an amazing thing. And I got to see so many cool shows. Like, I think we talked a little bit on Twitter about the Spiritual Machines release party, which I was lucky enough to win tickets to, I think. And you nice. guys you guys did cool things. Like, I actually had shoulder surgery in 1999. And, the, like, four days after, I was running through Ellicott Creek Park with a turkey so I could get tickets to go to a show that you guys played at Showplace Theater in Buffalo. Um, wow. Yeah, that's how you got the ticket. So I'm like in a sling, you know, running through the park with a turkey. That's tough. Yeah. Just like scratching you and stuff. Hockey player, right? You know, the hockey player in me like, oh, screw the yeah. shoulder. I'm going to get the tickets. And I went to an For Edge sure. Sessions and got to meet you guys there and saw that. So, so many cool things. And it was like my band for so long, and it was really your band for so long too. And yeah. then – after Spiritual Machines and transitioning from that whole long run where I got to see so many cool shows like a Penn State Summer Spring Fest or something that was so cool. And I guess Woodstock 99 was a little bit before that, but I was able to see you guys there as well and like be the like telling everyone around like, oh, you got to come with me from the tent area to see this band because not as many people knew about it there somehow. And uh, <laughs> Classic. Right, you know, it was like uh, the hip, and that weekend was like the tragically hip, and Our Lady Peace, like I was the one telling everyone, like, you got to come with me to see these bands, like, this is really why I'm here, and they're like, you're not here for Limp Bizkit? And I'm like, no, I'm not even going to watch Limp Bizkit, I'm here for this, but uh, 
I don't know. It changed for me somehow. And I wonder, I don't know. I don't know how to put that. See, the, the criticism I get all the time as the interviewer on this show is that I'm too fanboy. So I'm trying to fight that. But I also don't want to be disrespectful either. But I just yeah. felt like when Mike Turner left, for whatever reason, I was under the impression, and you can tell me flat out if this is false, but that he just wasn't going to fit in the Bob Rock Our Lady piece. Yeah, that's not the reason for sure. You know, it's not because of that. It's not, it was, uh, I mean, we, we just, things weren't working out at the time. And uh, I'm sure he, you know, I can't speak for him on the matter, but uh, we we were, we went to Hawaii to make an album and it just wasn't, you know, didn't things weren't working out. So uh, definitely not that. It's not one of those things where, well, uh, his vision wasn't going to be, you know, fulfilled, something like that. That's not the case. Is there any bigger jump in Our Lady Peace It was albums? different because it was the first time we worked with a different producer, and Bob's one of those producers that has a, a specific sound, and that's, you know, uh, that's what happens, you know. So when you work with that, that kind of a producer, you're going to have a specific feel and sound, and we were happy to do that, and that's what we wanted. So, um but in the idea of stuff, and it, it was drastically different on a, a lot of different levels. So there was a lot of change. But that had everything to do with just working with someone completely different for once. Because after that, we just kind of got used to uh, uh, putting whatever we did do back in, in a sense. You know, and, but it was never really the same. In, in, in a way, you know what I mean? Because when you're uh, making music a certain way and then all of a sudden you, you figure a different way, you kind of never go back to the other way you were doing it. Right. But, you know, you learn certain things and there's, there was great things on, 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 uh, on all, all of those records that, that we felt we were accomplishing. So you have to learn on your own in the end too, you know, as, as, a, as a personal studio producer so you work with as many people as you can in different styles to figure out what you really want or what what it is that you even know and that's what we did after 20 years and lots of different producers yeah it just you know i think you know spiritual machines kind of being somewhat of a concept album and um having this like like just feeling like i kind of grew up with the band in a way like going from and you, I mean, you were 17, right, when you recorded Navid or something like that? Some yeah, crazy yeah just freshly 18. Yeah. Right, yeah. So you felt like we were maybe going on this journey together. And then you're a few years older than me, not that much, but a few years older than me. And then uh, I think, like, when Gravity came out, I felt like I was going forward and the band somehow was going, was trying to reach those, like, be, be, behind me somehow. Like... And I got bitter about it, sort of. Do you know what I'm sort of saying? Like, it felt like... Yeah, well, we I mean, that, that's, that's called growing I mean, up, too, you know? Like, when you have a favorite thing or a certain band, and if they do change, then you're, you're probably either going to love it or not like it at all. And that was a definite change in that part. So, I mean, uh, a lot of people, you know, miss certain things, and some people like the new things. So it, it's uh, that's the way it goes, you know? You have to kind of change to understand what it is, right? Right. And so, you know, you couldn't just making uh, concept records, especially when our first album, we didn't know what the hell we were making. 
and the second record was just the first kind of real record because we we knew kind of what it was because we'd done one before and the, and you know the, the the three and four were the kind of studio using it as a tool records and then you kind of go back to being a rock band with gravity so it, it's uh depends on on how you look at it but it's all evolving it makes sense you know i bought for me, it for, and for me it's just it kind of went full circle and and i felt it was just to- totally uh easy to move on you know i remember the first time i heard gravity i remember thinking like all right, so if somewhere out there is everything about the new sound maybe I don't like, I still really loved Not Enough and Innocent and, I don't know, six or seven songs there. I still really liked that, still in, and I still would go to the shows. And when I would go to the shows, I would feel like, well, all right, so on this on the Gravity Tour is like all the songs from when I was all in and then a few songs from Gravity. And then when we got past Gravity and it was like to the next one, it was like, all the songs and a few gravity songs and only a couple from the new stuff. Yeah, it just felt hey man, like it felt like that's vibe. totally acceptable. I, I don't even you know I, I, uh, that happens with com- almost every single band in history if they last that long. That a lot of fans just you know it's not the same to them as it is the early stuff and they they gravitate away from it. So that's just that's life. Well, I wanted to ask you about like like sort of playing the shows like as you got maybe like in this last five or six years or whatever, it seemed like you guys would would put out new new music, and but then I would go to the shows and it would be mostly, there was less, like, maybe a better way to say it, it's like on the Happiness Tour or even the Spiritual Machines Tour, I remember there'd be so much of those albums and then some of less, but as the catalog got bigger, it seems like you guys still, I don't know, it just felt like, yeah, I, I don't that's even know what ego, egotistical young bands do to to fans. They play only the new stuff, and then you right. know you realize, hey, that's not cool. But I loved that. Though, you know? I loved <laughs> no, that you band. you dug that, but yeah. it's like it's a stance usually when when a band's doing that to like make you kind of get into that album, and, and uh, sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. You know. Yeah, we're. I think we're both pretty big Rush fans, right? So. I'm actually not a huge Rush fan, huge but Rush I mean, fan. like, I know them very well, and did you see like, the? I, uh, I respect them for sure. Did you see the but documentary? I don't, I don't put records on or anything. Did you see the documentary that came out a couple years of ago? Of course. So yeah, I'm well educated on them and understand oh, everything yeah. about them. I'm I played on Getty's solo record. Yeah, I, yeah. I played I play golf with Alex I once in it. a while, and uh, and I've met Neil once, but it's just I I think they're. Uh, amazing people i think they've they've done incredible things there's not too many bands that can say they've been together like they have you know right and that's exactly so, uh, why i brought it up because i wanted to ask you there's yeah. a there, jack black i think is the one who says this in the documentary he makes this analogy about ketchup bottles and how every band has starts with like a ketchup bottle and then they turn it upside down and start emptying it and um you know as they're like some bands ketchup bottle can go forever and I was just wondering, like, was part of the reason you left Arlie Peace maybe because you thought there was nothing left in the ketchup bottle for you and the band? <laughs> well, it is, I mean, I think usually when, when somebody moves on to do something else, that's a very simple analogy to to, to explain uh, what happened, you know, for anybody. If they, like, I, like I said, I feel like I've, I've done great things and, 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 and I've done probably everything I can think of 
with OLP and, and it was awesome and, and to move on is, is exactly what he said because I gave everything that I had, you know. Was it a similar situation like you were describing with Mike? Did you initially try to work on this new record that they're having with that? No, or? it's a total a totally different situation and I'm not gonna get into it just because of uh legal situations from back in the day. So Fair enough. You understand that I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. So Yeah, yeah uh, fair enough. Um what what makes you most excited about being open for new opportunities? Like, are there certain things that excite you the most? Like, wh- you're a guy who's proven to be entertaining on so many different levels besides behind a drum kit. I'm sure that's your number one passion, but are there a lot of different things you're looking forward maybe to having more time to do now in your post-OLP life? 100%, yeah. I mean, uh, um, that also was was a big thing that I've I've loved about the moving on part is just having a wide open schedule to work with and, and, uh, being able to commit to things and doing, uh, uh, amazing, uh, writing and playing with, with other people too. So, I mean, it, it's, when you're in a band, it's, it's, it's difficult to, to kind of do other things for sure. So that's why I was kind of respectful and understanding that, that, uh, I would have to, to uh, you know, make a decision to, to so I can free free the uh, schedule and make everything easy for everybody as well. You know, are there any specific things that like really interest you? Or is there anything that you like really want to try out? Or no, I'm out? not. Th- I'm not. I'm not really any different. I mean, uh, before I was in the band and I did radio a lot, and now I'm just doing radio a lot, and I'm playing with with new people and and uh, kind of like I said on on Twitter. I, being an unrestricted free agent drummer right. is uh, <laughs> it's just kind of I'm fielding what that actually is, and uh, it's just all new and great. So it's it's, it's all good. You know, you, you've uh, you've proven uh, to to be able to talk in an interesting way about so many different things, whether it be hockey or music or something else. And um, outside of music is there a, is it something like sports or hockey or is there something specific that you want to be able to to talk more about or um is there well, i mean i love i love sports i mean i think sports is one of the greatest inventions of of the human being in history because it's it gives you something to root for and and when it's real and honest it's it's wonderful because it's just true performance and you're and there's no uh the best player wins so it's uh, and you get to see extreme ability all over the place. So I, I think that's why I like sports because it's just pushing, pushing and pushing on on the physical level of of uh, you know what one can do and how fast somebody can do something. So for hockey, uh, being a, a a hockey fan is is easy for that because it's just ridiculous, ridiculously exciting to watch. And baseball, just because I grew up playing it and loving it and, and uh, having a great respect for the history of that and golf for the same reasons, playing it for a long time and just really uh, appreciating the uh, the artistry that's in that as well, that, the difficulty of, of what's happening on the, on, on the major tours of all these sports. It's just something to, uh, when you break them down and get into them, you, you just see how good it is and, and you appreciate it. So it's uh, hard not to watch. Are you a Leafs guy? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And that sucks because uh, <laughs> you, I'm sure you're a Sabres yeah, fan. Yeah, we're rivals on this one, right? 
<laughs> we're rivals, but we totally pat each other, hug each other drunk, right, realizing we that, that we, we don't win ever, you know. So I have sort of an evil uh, Maple Leafs tradition, and it's, it's... Well, it is. like It's funny because we have this, like, bitter rivalry, yet we're still stung by the same problem. Right, know? absolutely. Because, well, like, so... I've been to a lot of hip shows as well. Like I told you, I got all in on Canadian music. So I've been to a lot of, you know, hip shows. And uh, I always thought it was funny when they would play 50 Mission Cap and everyone would cheer when he would get to the part where, you know, he says the Leafs won the cup or whatever. So every yeah. year when the Leafs aren't going to win the cup, I rock the hell out of 50 Mission Cap. Like I stop whatever yeah. I'm doing that moment. Like one time it was on Easter. They like lost a shootout or the Rangers won a shootout or something he like that. It today. Yeah, and I just like I gotta leave Easter dinner for a minute. I gotta go listen to Fifty Mission Cap. You, you hate us that much, eh? Well, but I is it the is it the fans or the team? What is it that you can't stand? You know what it is? Is it's the way the Leafs fans take over our arena, and it's totally like oh, it's totally yeah. the like the cheap Sabres fan in all of us because we're like, oh, we can drop our tickets to a Leafs fan for two hundred fifty bucks tonight, and we only paid sixty for them, like. Yeah, yeah sure. so you're winning, man. Yeah, you're yeah. all set. You yeah. love it then. Forget forget the season ticket holder I sit next to who's going to have to have those people next to him. you know. And then when you're there yeah. and it's the guy next to you who did it, you're like, oh, this is so miserable. And the, the Hey, man, I've only been to one Leafs-Sabres game. It's like Buffalo, a college hockey so game. You can't hate on me too hard. Yeah, it's like a college hockey game. It's like splits, like 50-50. Yeah. It's, and, and it was the old one, like back in, we're talking like in the 80s. Oh, at the odd? 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so remember how steep it was up top there, man? That was like so scary. Like yeah, being oh, a yeah. kid up there, oh, I was like yeah. I could barely enjoy the game. It was so steep. I was there for May Day, and like I was like we had standing room tickets. Me and my dad like went down at the last minute, and that was all we could get. Oh. And I was like sitting on the stairs to like yeah, I was like standing was too scary. So I was like sitting in the aisle. <laughs> totally, yeah. But when May scored, like I suddenly was not scared anymore. I was willing to like stand up and jump and up and down. <laughs> But I wanted to tell you about my evil tradition. I did suspend it that one year, and did not. It was too painful after Game Seven against Boston, even for me to. to oh, even you wanted them to win. Well, even I didn't want to see them lose like that, and I'm no Bruins yeah. fan. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, the Bruins are way down there on the list if I were to rank them from one to thirty. So, like, yeah, that was just sure. way too cruel. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's way too cruel. That's good. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks. So I, did I do. I, it I will uh, tell my friends that a Buffalo fan actually didn't do anything. They they let it go that night. Yeah, I let it go that night. You know, but you but know, you pumped it this year for sure, right? Oh God, yeah. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> they just they just like not even when when do you do it when they're done? Like when yeah, oh yeah, when it's officially out when they can't win it. You know, they. Like, so when did when did that happen this year? What it was, was it? I like, think were... like in early March or something. <laughs> but like, if the a Leafs fan had this thing, like I think the Sabers were eliminated in November this year. You know, like oh, was, the Sabers yeah, were the worst sure. worst NHL team of all time. Maybe this year, like you could make that case. Like, if they would have played twelve yeah. more games than everyone else and won them all, they still would have finished last. What do you think's going on? Is it right now like there's been an explosion and they haven't done anything yet? Yeah, I think like what they what they are like what that season was was a product was really the end of the Chris Drury Daniel Briere July first two thousand seven nightmare like that was the yeah. start of it like losing those guys and thinking that Derek Roy and Jason Pominville like could someday replace them or or whatever the core they thought they had in place and then of course that yeah. weekend Edmonton forcing their hand with Vanek which really wasn't that bad of a contract especially since it was sure. so front loaded and and. Vanek was far from the problem. 
Uh, he was a great saber for a long time. But um, that period, like, just started, like, just losing guys, like, one or two at a time and never replacing them. And then eventually making a decision like, oh, shoot, Erhoff, giving Erhoff and Vili Leno, who is a winger, but we're going to try to, to, to pretend he's a center, $10 billion because we didn't, because Brad Richards wouldn't take it, yeah. which probably wouldn't have worked out anyway, I guess, seeing what happened. Yeah. yeah. I guess, right? So, like, that was, like, when the new owner came in and he tried that, and that didn't work. It was like, okay, we're going to bottom out totally now, you know? And they did bottom out. And I would think, like, if you're going into the playoffs last year and if you weren't in them, I would think the Sabres would be one of the two or three teams you would want to be the most because of where yeah. they were set up. It's going to be another year or two, but, you know, Sammy? Like rock bottom. You're like, saying, yeah, like they were rock, rock bottom, bottom, but they also had assets. They had a ton of, you know, a ton of draft picks yep. and good prospects. Did you guys get anybody year. good? Sammy Reinhardt. Yeah, that's, that's see that. Are you feeling like that's something to, to build upon oh, I where, think like, was, everyone's happy about? You know, everyone was really upset because we lost the lottery, technically. Yeah. But it actually worked out because... Last year, we drafted two defensemen in the first round. So we weren't drafting Ekblad this year. So the team that won the lottery picking Ekblad was essentially us having the first pick anyway because if we had it, we were going to pick between, you know, Reinhardt, Bennett, and maybe the German kid or whatever. And they still well, got to Yeah, you've, you've got blast marks and some nice nuggets of, of future. Right now, we've got – we put some weird old veteran, quote-unquote, good guys to have in the locker room – for a couple more years in the in our team to try and put band-aids on it. Like, that's what's happening. I think the Leafs Toronto. would love to do what the Sabres did, but just can't because of the market they're in. Like, the Leafs could yeah. never have a season like the Sabres just had because it just, yeah. it would, you just couldn't do that in Toronto. And I bet that if, if, some, if the, the important people in Toronto were honest, they would probably say that they would love to be able to do that. And they would probably say they wish they wouldn't have had whatever internal battles they had with Brian Burke because Brian Burke was just kind of getting it right there I think I think well yeah not right now it's like a a three-headed monster with little tiny legs that can't run you know what I mean Mm -hmm. there's a lot of strength in the weird places but not where you need it for real there's the, the, the the uh one or two lines and not really defense but then adding what right handed shots thinking like that's what all they needed on defense. It just doesn't make sense to me. I don't get that. Yeah, I didn't understand them getting rid of D'Amigo. I thought he was one of their really like better prospects. He's an American kid who, who played college. Like if, you, is it, if you were, does it smell like to you like, okay, if we hire a few more stinkers, not, not superstars, but guys that are going to add some positivity in the room, like it just feels like there's another, someone's trying to, stick around for a year or two as opposed to like take a chance totally totally feels that way they remind me so the least the present lease remind me a lot of the rangers in the early 2000s where they yeah they yeah. couldn't make the playoffs and they would do they would they bring lindros in you know and then yeah, that would one work, guy work, or a little move here and there just and it, to keep people happy right and it just wouldn't work like you knew the day they signed that clarkson deal last year like that's not gonna work that guy's not oh. worth that much money that contract's gonna strangle them for years and sure enough he had his most miserable season last year, but and then but to see Bolin go, which I understand like it was risky and he kept getting injured and you don't know really what he can do, 
But he, if you're, you, they make it seem like they got rid of him, like that was easy to do, and yet here's the elephant in the room, Clarkson, who's pretty much, you know, had every opportunity to be healthy and then get unhealthy or, you know, jump on somebody and start a fight for some stupid reason. And what did he like? I remember it was like three months in when he actually scored a goal, and everybody was like, "Yeah, man, see, that's what that's what we're talking about." That's our man. Right, and it was like that, you actually saw a feeling of the press turning it that way, where it's like, "Yeah, man, he's all right, <laughs> he's okay." And then he like got injured again, or like got in a fight again, or something stupid. It's just I don't understand why there's was it seven million bucks or something they're spending a year on him. I want an honest answer from you on this. Let's say it's 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 an awkward year to ask you this because just we just had this year last year. But okay, I can just even ask you going into last year, rank these things and what you wanted the most: the gold medal at the Olympics, the gold medal at the World Juniors, or the Leafs with a cup. Going into last we, year, Next how do you year or well, going, going into last year? Last we had year? it, yeah, because we we could have said that. Or even if you want to look ahead three more years when it's in Russia or whatever the what is it? So where are the Olympics next time? I can't even think. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, they haven't decided if they're going to go or not. But, but let's I would say, say they do. I would say that uh, I would have picked the gold medal for sure anyway because I knew In the, the Olympics as Leafs one. weren't going to win the Stanley Cup last year. Okay. So looking forward then, you got three years to build. Yeah. Three years from now, do you want Canada to win the gold and the Olympics as one, the Leafs to win the Cup as one, or the junior team? Because I know how big the World Juniors is in Canada too. Yeah, the juniors is big, and they've lost a couple now. So lost, like that's starting yeah. to build. They haven't won a medal in, like in a couple years now. Like not even a yeah. medal. Yeah, which is and crazy. And I think uh, is uh, is McDavid still on the team this year? Will he, he will be playing be, yes. in the juniors? This, it, this year, will be this the year they expect him to dominate it. I would think. Last yeah, year like, is it, only it, 16. that will be a big deal. I think you know if. if uh, it will be like Sidney Crosby before he went pro. Yeah, know? next year will be a huge year because it will be like the Taves versus Kane year. Because yeah, we'll, sure. the U.S. will have uh, uh, Eichel, who's going to be... Yeah, and, but, and this is kind of skewed because right. the, but having the, the Olympics so far away, you can't really pick the the Olympics because it's just... Right. That will happen only NHL this year you know, with, with right. McDavid. I'm sure the year after won't be as big a deal because if they lose with McDavid, it'll just be like, who the hell are these guys and what happened to Canada? Right. Yeah, it, oh. it, it'd be really interesting. And next year will be a really fun World Juniors tournament, like I said, because we'll have both of our teams will have elite stars who are going to be expected to be drafted one and two in the NHL draft. And, uh, yeah. you know, guys that we've been talking about you know, for a long time. Like, Jason Spezza was the first guy I remember like this who somehow we were all talking about when he was, like, 13. You know, in my lifetime, that he was, like, the first guy like that. I mean, because Cannon has only had still, like, five guys to play in that tournament as a 16-year-old. You know, Connor McDavid last year, I think, was the fifth guy. Yeah. You know, I don't even think Gretzky, I don't think, did it. I think Lemieux did, but Gretzky didn't, or the opposite of that. One of the two of them didn't do it as a 16-year-old. I can't remember which. It's also okay to take the next Olympics out of the equation because it probably won't be there anyway. Right, yeah. It sounds like more and more. <laughs> the NHL wants to go back to doing it themselves with like a World Cup, you know, Canada yeah, Cup. Yeah, they want the World money Cup. that they're right. not getting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Tavares injury this year didn't help because nope. that was the one, you know, nightmare thing that they all said. And this is the first time it actually really happened to that level. You know? Yeah, for sure. But, but uh, he, he, yeah, he, he uh, no, that was terrible. Yeah. 
Didn't it happen? It was a few players. Other teams got, had injuries as well. Yeah. There was a lot of guys that, that went down from that. And then there was guys that were, like, out of gas for that month and then all of a sudden got injured two weeks afterwards. That Canadian After team, the, though, when man. they got home, you know. I don't know if I ran. I don't know if I've ever seen a hockey team as good on the back end as that Canadian team last year. Oh man, it was out of control. That was a great game. That I, I still believe that the, the best game was the U.S. game for sure. Yeah, I think the winner of that game was going to win the gold medal, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, it, and that was just the, the so close and so strong on both sides that it was like that was like the modern version of perfect hockey. I think. But you know what, as a, as someone who was rooting for the United States that day, I am smart enough to realize that was like a one nothing soccer game between Brazil and, I don't know, some Argentina third world country. Someone that just had no chance, despite the fact that it was Oh, one-nothing. someone who had no chance, yeah, Ghana Despite or the yeah, fact that it was Canada. one-nothing. Yeah, yeah Canada just say it, killed just say it, it's okay. Us. Yeah, they killed us. Canada killed us that day. It was only one nothing. But that was all. No, I'm saying you could pick like the swamping of a soccer team like Brazil against Canada. Oh, okay, yeah, right. I, why isn't Canada better at soccer? I don't understand that. I think it's gonna. They'll. They'll. They're terrible because there's been zero growth and flaunting in the in that area. But I think that's gonna change. They're seeing the. I think the the view on professional soccer was the big problem for a long time, and that's changing with TFC growth and the, just soccer in general in, in North America. You're starting to realize that. It's huge business, and if you can actually have a team compete in the World Cup, like that would just mean so much more. So I think they're probably going to build towards it. Though you see, the women are starting to do well. Yeah, so. and it's in Canada next year, right? So I'm, I'm yeah, assuming yeah. It's a so huge so year I, I think I think that'll probably change in the next ten to fifteen years, hopefully. But uh, I mean, look at America in the last twenty years. You know, they were never a dominant force in the World Cup in 1980s or 1970s or 60s. You know? Yeah, the ratings here have been unbelievable. I mean, and just it's just a growing rating. game, yeah. and people don't, I guess people don't realize in, when you're in Canada or the States how big it actually is, but when you, you, when you see how big it is outside of the States and Canada, Canada you, you understand that, that uh, it makes sense that it could grow so big because it's like a religion to other countries yeah we had rob stone right before the world cup who works for fox sports in the united states and they're going to take over the world cup from espn starting next year with the women's world cup and i did admit to him out loud that when it comes to international soccer i am a traitor i do root for italy first i grew up in an italian household my first experience with with soccer was watching the 94 final with my grandma who was right from italy and uh roberto baggio (laughs) over the net i remember that i remember Oh, it's brutal. I had to wipe the tears off my poor grandmother's face, you know, like, I'm sorry, Grandma, we're not going to win this one, you know. And then she was dead in 2006, but I did take flowers to her grave when Italy got the revenge and finally won a World Cup on penalties, and Fabio Grasso got the winning goal. They had beaten Germany in the semifinals. This is the famous headbutt, the Zidane headbutt. Yeah. Yeah, so that was nice. But um, listen, this has been way more than I could have ever dreamed. Uh, At Taggart7 on Twitter... Uh, great podcast. I listened to a few of them getting ready to speak with you. Taggart and Torrens. You can follow that at Taggart and the letter Torrens on Twitter. Uh, thank you as a fan, someone who has for the formative years of his life. I always say that uh, Pearl Jam has been the soundtrack of my life, but soundtracks aren't one band, right? And there's no doubt yep. if I really made a soundtrack that there would be 
uh, one or two or three or who, however many Our Lady Peace songs on that soundtrack. So thank you as a fan for everything that, that you gave to the band. I'm going to miss you in it. And I can't promise the other guys that I don't think that part of the credibility of the band left with Mike Turner and the rest left with you. But, you know, that's just one guy's opinion. And they don't care about me anymore anyway. I'm too old for them, I think, at this point. So they'll be fine uh, without thanks. me. But uh, thank you so much for all this time. Is there anything else you want to tell the people listening to us about you or the things you're doing other than the, the Twitters I gave out and the podcast or anything else you want no, to No, like you said, I got Twitter is the best way to keep the uh, follow of what's what's happening with me. And uh, it's all kind of uh, between music and, and media. It's great, and I'm happy to do to do it. I'm, I'm happy to be moving forward. So thanks a lot to you, Steve, for uh, having the time to chat with me. Yeah, it was it was a it was a huge honor, and um, I hope uh, I wasn't disrespectful. I wanted to be honest. No, no, not I at all. I didn't all want good. to be rude, and, and like I said, everyone says I'm a fanboy. I'm you know I'm too nice to everybody, but people don't understand that. Like, I'm not sending Jeremy a check like after this for the 45 minutes he just gave me. Like you have to like people do this like. Like out of the generosity, like Lee Jenkins, yeah, Lee Jenkins just broke the biggest story in the sports world an hour ago. And if I called him in an hour, he would come on. Like he's been on 19 times, you know, we've been yeah, kind of saving awesome. the 20th time for like the right moment. But people don't understand that. Like, I don't know, whatever. You don't need to hear this, but whatever. Uh, thank you so much is the point. I really appreciate it. No, man. Thank you. I understand that, uh, you know, you just kind of get people people want to hear stuff and people deserve an opinion and it doesn't matter uh, when and where and uh, if i if i have the time i'd be happy to help as well and those types of people are the are the ones that uh, are good to have around for sure we should pencil when you become a big superstar and uh, fox sports (laughs) one right of course well we should pencil each other in for like around world junior time and like we can you know just sure. talk about hockey. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, just I'd be happy on. to, for sure, man. Yeah. You count me in there, for sure. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks, Steve. All right. I want to thank Jason Lockenfora and Jeremy Taggart for being on the podcast today. Really appreciate that. Don't forget you can find out or find all of our other podcasts, including last week's featuring uh, John Wertheim, the executive editor of SI, uh, Jeff Passon from the Major League Baseball All-Star Game, and Ian Rappaport at www.sports-casters.com. You can also find us on uh, Twitter, at sports underscore casters. You can email us at sportscasters at gmail.com. Uh, next week's podcast is going to be really important if you're interested in being in the Listener's League. Uh, we're going to make a bunch of decisions about the Listener's League next week because probably the week after that it's going to have to be the draft so we can get it done uh, before I get married and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, that's the only bad thing, I suppose, about the timing of my wedding this year is we're going to miss a couple of shows uh, that would have been probably pretty good ones historically uh, based on what we would book around this time of the year. But right. I still hope that we're going to be able to get Mike Tirico and Rich Eisen on the show uh, at some point here in the next month or so. I'm working on it. And uh, I think both of the people that represent them thought it was worth their time last year and are probably going to be willing to set it up again. Good. I think. Um, one last thing, I guess, already for me. Do I, is there anything else I have to mention? 
I don't think so. I don't think so, no. Uh, one last thing for me at the expense of offending any Catholics who listen or um, <laughs> any members of the Catholic Church, uh, any deacons or priests that may listen. I did want to s- share a story about uh, getting married. And um, so when we originally planned on getting married in a Catholic church, we met with the priest at the church to essentially get permission to right. get married there. And the conditions were we had to go to a pre-cane class uh, and we had to provide copies of our birth certificates or baptismal certificates that weren't our own, but ones that came from the church where those records were stored. Right. And the reason for that was so that they could check to make sure we weren't previously married. So if we were previously married, it would be recorded on that sheet. Interesting. So Tammy was able to go to the other church in our area where she was baptized, which is still open, get hers very easily, give it to the priest. The church that I was baptized at is closed, and their records have been moved to another church. Oh, I thought the issue was your parents didn't remember what church they baptized you at. That did happen initially. So (laughs) when I first called the priest, I said I was baptized at St. Anne's in Buffalo because that's what my parents told me. Okay. They looked and couldn't find the existence of a record. So my dad looked for the record, found it, and said, oh, it wasn't at St. Anne's. It was at St. Mary's. So I found out that that was also a closed church, and I had to find out where their records were, and it just happened to be at the same place that the other closed church was. Hmm. So essentially, we have three churches. Two of them are closed. All of the records are at the one church. Right. So after weeks and weeks and weeks of trying to get back a hold of this guy to say I had the wrong church initially, it's at this other church, I finally did get a hold of him, and he looked through the records to find out he still couldn't find the record. Okay. So essentially, there is no record of me ever being baptized in the Catholic Church except for the piece of paper my dad has. Okay. So we had to tell this to the priest on Sunday. The kind of last meeting with him right. before basically to say, look at we did everything you said. Here's our pre-Cana certificate. Here's my baptismal certificate. And we had to tell him stuff for the homily. You know, like he's going to pretend like he knows us real well in the service. Okay. You know, like, oh, Tammy describes Steve as a lovable <laughs> soul. You know, he's just going to say this nonsense. Okay. You know, but really he only knows it because we told him. Mm-hmm. So, um. Like, I could have told him that Tammy has really ugly feet, and then he would have said that. Like, oh, he's marrying her despite her ugly feet. <laughs> you know, but whatever. Um, so anyway, uh, so I told him the whole thing, and he's basically just accepting what I have. And I guess this isn't that great of a story other than to say, today when I went to take him what I had, and they accepted it, I also got a call from the other guy who wants me to send him one too because they're going to cover up the mistake essentially. They're just going to take what I have, sort of seal it, and pretend like they've had it all along. Oh. And this might be the thing that gets you in trouble. They were so anxious for me to do this because they're so afraid that this marriage won't get recorded correctly in their records. And I so badly wanted to say to them, you know, it doesn't matter, right? You know (laughs) that your role in this is the same as like the queen of England's role. It's purely ceremonial. 
Now, there's no legal binding to what your records. There's not. It means nothing except for what you say it means. What made you pick this church? Is this Tammy's family's church, technically? Now it is, yes. It wasn't, but their family church c- combined with this one. So now this one is theirs. And you told you you wanted to tell the guy essentially you would have gotten married like at an Outback Steakhouse if it was your choice, right? <laughs> right. But you just you can't, right? You know, I wanted to say to him, listen, we've been having years of premarital sex. <laughs> we've never even considered going to church until she decided she wanted to get married here. The certificate literally means nothing. And this is going to be the thing. There's going to be some. Some Catholic spy out there. <laughs> this is gonna be the thing that gets the podcast shut down. Okay, I'm, I'll back off then. Yeah, I'm kidding. I love. I'm Catholic. I was raised Catholic. Yeah, I am not. Yeah, so I am not against Catholicism. No, not necessarily. There's some either. things I am not crazy about in its history, which I think <laughs> there's many Catholics not crazy about sure. some of those things. Sure, but uh, I just think that you're. You're hanging out your legitimacy a little bit if you can't keep the record of a baptism for 30 years. And it's weird that you just don't have it anymore and your answer for not having it is, well, let me just give me what you have and then we'll have it then. Right. So, uh, the joys of marriage, I suppose. Yeah, I'm glad I, I did not do it that way. Uh, my last thing this week, I, I don't know exactly how to put this. Uh, I'm not a big Hall of Fame watcher. Uh, I saw Jim Kelly's speech, but only like afterward and like after seeing like oh man he did a really great job and it was emotional all that stuff like, yeah, I check, there yeah right, saw yeah. right i should check that out that type of stuff I, I i'm not sure i've seen marv's speech or thurman's speech in their entirety or bruce's speech um and because of the timing of it i probably won't see this one either but this one's because it'll be during your the stag right I probably maybe, should have talked about that instead. Yeah, maybe they'll have that on during the bar. Oh, you're staying in yeah. general? <laughs> One last thing next week will probably be a stag update. Okay. Yeah. But uh, this is going to be a really interesting one for Buffalo because, A, it's probably the swan song for that team. That team. Unless someone like Kent Hall gets in or Steve Tasker finally gets some Kent Hall should be in. momentum and gets in. We sure Kent Hall's not in? I don't believe he is. No, he should be. Um. But as far as that team with the superstars all on state uh, at the venue together and Marv giving the speech for Andre and Jim being there after beating or hopefully... Kent Hall is dead? What? He died October 18, 2011. How did I not? I did not not know that. I don't remember that. Yeah. I'm sure I... That's terrible. Yeah, that's... <laughs> wow, that's embarrassing. Age 50. Rest um, in peace, Kent Hall. Yeah, bummer. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know who has to get him in now or whatever. But uh, as far as all those guys getting together, getting in, uh, the year Ralph Wilson dies, the year Jim Kelly t- gets like a downturn in cancer and then he's kind of recovering now and he's going to make it to the game. It's just it's going to be kind of a cool, emotional uh, swan song for the 90s Bills. And I don't – I was a fan then, but not nearly – the fan I am now, unfortunately, because like, I wish I had like an encyclopedic or uh, photographic memories of all those games. And I know for a fact I was at my cousin's house during the Redskins Super Bowl. We we played uh, John Elway football like ten minutes into that game rather than watching the actual Bills game. But this will be kind of cool. Like like I said, I, I probably won't end up seeing it. 
But I imagine as far as I – mean, I think this will be a nice way to take that team out. My son works! Oh 